You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to Press Your Luck. I'm your host, Peter Tamarkin. Mm. Tales with TR, I'm your host, Terry Ryan. Press Your Luck, you remember that game show? It was, uh, I don't know, those of you that are around my age, I'm guessing mid-80s, I know there's a there's a version there has been since, but the original with the whammies, I mean, it was silly, right? It was silly. Like, remember that one a few years ago with the boxes, Howie Mandel, whatever it was, you had to pick a box, right? I mean, you think about it, just like how much better is Jeopardy? <laughs> you know? <laughs> You watch Jeopardy, you're probably going to learn something. But just, you know, here's 25 boxes, all with money, and sit here and we'll draw it out for three hours, your decision, <laughs> and why you're going to make it. Well, I got, I got a student loan, and I just had two kids. Lost my job. Okay, but you've already got 200000 Why are you going for the million? Because I, I, I just feel lucky. Boom, fuck. Leave with $16. Oh, I have no fucking pity for those people. For some of them, because it's like, you know, you go on that show. What, what was the name of that show? Just one sec. I got a... Howie Mandel. Host. I mean, it, it just was a couple of years ago, right? Jesus. Deal or no deal. Deal or no deal. <laughs> oh, wow. That's actually genius that you can milk that process out for that long. And not only a successful show, an absolutely hit show. Just pick a box. You know, you could you could have the whole thing could be done in 15 seconds. Let's say let's say a minute. OK, let's say a minute. 
but it take like an entire show for someone to get to that final decision and commercial breaks and everything else. And you, you knew it was just like dice being rolled. There was no other, you know, final jeopardy or something. You're like, what are they going to, you know, that, Oh, the topic is medieval history. What could we be talking about today? Maybe the Renaissance, maybe Genghis Khan. What are we going to, but in that it's just like, Hey, you know, he's going to pick the brunette with the nice legs. Or else, unless you had some affinity to like a, a specific number and you thought that that had anything to do with it, which it doesn't. If you really, really think about it. I think there's things that we, that are intuitive that you know, like an animal has an instinct, you know, you're like, I, I think there might be something to telepathy one day, you know, that we'll figure out like there's probably, well, I mean, we do communicate without really talking lots, but. I think that's more reading the situation. I, I, I uh, but I'm not ruling it out. There's things. I mean, it, it, it really. Let's be honest. Like people talk about it, like it's going to happen. I mean, I don't know if that really happens, but it might. But I can guarantee you that just looking at a number and wishing it is, it's just not going to happen. Or like astrology. I'm into astronomy, and I'm going to piss a lot of people off listening to this because lots of people are into it, but. I just don't. I mean, the universe, what we know, it's just so huge. And like where Saturn's third moon is in, in the sky, I don't think has anything to do with my workday. I, I just don't see it like that. Um, fortune cookies, you know, think about it. Like those get printed somewhere by a company that wants to make money and just thinks of quotes and puts it on there. Could it match up? Sure. Someday it might. Right. Well, I, 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 I got my fortune cookie and my fortune when I cracked it open and ate the cookie and finally saw my fortune. And it was that you're, you're going to have good luck soon, you know, and then three weeks later they win the lottery and it was all the fortune cookie. Right. But first of all, any lotto winner within a certain space in their life is going to have some kind of omen, whether it's a fortune cookie or maybe they won twice on the rip tickets or something. And they're like, oh, luck's going my way. Or they just had a kid or something that changed their life, you know. But lots of positive things happen. And anyway, I'm not trying to be <laughs> a fucking Debbie Downer. I, I do believe in like, like again, but the, the positive karma thing might, might be real. Maybe there's a way we can communicate without even realizing it. But I don't know, man, because some big fucking company you know, writes, you're going to have a good day on the inside of a wrap of, of a cookie inside of a wrapper that I get at the blue dragon takeout down the road by the misty moon lounge. And I'm going to go in there at night and order four egg rolls, chicken chow mein, maybe some chicken balls, that broccoli dish they got, you know, I'm going to get probably that something to that effect. Come home, want to put it on and watch Netflix or play PlayStation or something. And I rip open the uh, cookie and says, I'm going to have a good day. I just don't put much weight in that. 
But what am I really even talking about right now? I just, I, I keep saying, don't ramble. Don't go off in a direction. And honestly, I've gone off in a direction. I didn't even, I don't know how that even came up. Um, but anyway, there you have it. My thoughts on luck. I think it's created more than it just happens. Uh, so I'm going to tell you a story, a little Surprise, someone named Terry Ryan is going to tell you a story. What I'm saying is that myself and my father tend to tell stories, but I don't know if I've ever mentioned it. I've, I've referred to it here and there, and I know I brought it up on uh, the Sheriff Sean McMorrow's podcast last week. Great guy, by the way. Me, me and Senior popped on his podcast. It was a bit of fun, um, and Senior's having fun with this. You know, the whole little bit of attention and uh, from chiclets and whatnot. And we're getting more and more listeners, a lot more actually. So that's great. I appreciate it. I hope you, well, those who listen tend to stick around. So we're doing something right. But anyway, uh, and I, you know, I'm not underestimating the fact that senior has something to do with it. He does have, it's just that I've, I've heard the same stories a lot. So I'm often, what's the word? Not impatient. Cause you know, I love when he goes in those <laughs> rants, but um, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm numb, numb to those stories. So I, I'm a little bit saturated by them. So I, that's why the last two, honestly, episodes I've had them on my podcast. I don't know if you guys listened, but they're actually the best conversations I've had with them. So I tried to ask them questions that I didn't really know the answers to. So, and then it's fine. You know, it's funny. I, I think I'm just, yeah, I'm numbed by all the same stories all the time, but that's what people want to hear. We've just been hearing them for 30 years, I guess. Well, longer but there's um there i go again so growing up you know mount pearl i i i really i'm not trying to be humble until i was 10 which you might say until you're 10 that's not old but it is when you're playing hockey i, I wasn't ever an all-star there was guys from my group that i ended up playing all-star with like and in mount pearl they would just bump you up so like while we were playing novice hockey there was a few people that were bumped up to play on the b Adam team, the blades, right? The blades were always A blades and B blades. C, you might have a tournament, but it was picked out of house league, right? You'd, you'd play house league all year and then they'd have a C tournament, you know, somewhere and they needed teams. When, and, and, you know, that's great for to, to, to develop. But in order to like, you know, play on the blades and get a blades jacket and do that whole thing in Mount Pearl. I mean, that was my goal at first was to get a blades jacket. That was my goal in hockey was to get a blades jacket because it was probably a quicker route to being cool with the ladies. And up until grade six, I was also in a, an all boys school called St. Bonds. So um, I was really awkward with girls. God. Yeah. Just looking back, I was really awkward. I was still awkward when I left. You guys know that story, I guess how I lost my virginity, but um. A lot of it. Yeah. A anyway, I'm rambling again. So anyway, yeah, I'm getting some, I'm going somewhere with this. So we would, our group would hang out a lot though. So we, we improved real fast. And I know people say, you know, back in the day, we all played street hockey and now nobody does. But, you know, be, kind of people still do. It was more of a thing then. I, and I really, there was no phones, really. There, there were fucking phones, but there was no cell phones. 
I came in when I left, you know, I was 93, 94. I had a cell phone. You couldn't text for another 10 years. Um, so growing up, it didn't exist. So, and, and, you know, video games were okay, but you, you couldn't go online and play them. And we would often get together with the boys, but I, I wasn't really into playing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons on my own. Or you know, I, I played video games like any kid would, but it was always with somebody. Now, like I said, Jeremy Charles was my best buddy. He was always at my place or I was at his. We had Sega Genesis. We logged lots of hours. But that was when the sun went down and we came in and hockey was over or baseball or soccer. So a group of us, you know, if you were to take, you know, there's a lot of crossovers. There was a lot of people that played on the baseball, soccer and hockey team. I was one of them. Um, and, you know, we played with people a year older and a year younger at some point, right? Your first year, your second year. So in that group, there was probably 50 of us, you know, that some people played on one team. 25 or 30 of those group played, played on a couple of the teams. And then it was probably 10 of us that played all three. And it was great because we all improved. We all, I mean, I don't know who would ever keep track, but. And when I say we played, you know, if you're from Fogo or something, you don't have the privilege to play in the top. It doesn't matter how good of a player you are, your population, right? And and the chances are that everybody's on that level is probably, there's the odd teams out of Grand Falls, where my dad's from. But again, that's got like 10,000 people. Uh, Bonavista, Michael Ryder, Adam Party had a group there that all, you know, if you're a closely knit group, you'll often overachieve. But we were always in the top division because Mount Pearl is a suburb of St. John's. Mount Pearl, Cornerbrook, Grand Falls, Gander, St. John's, um, and usually St. John's often had a couple of teams: uh, Avalon Celtics, St. John's Caps, you know, Torbay was there. anyway. Um, and then you might get Labrador City, Goose Bay, like Labrador would come with one team here and there. But other than that, Harbor Grace, Danny Cleary was from there. They had four or five. They didn't have as much depth. Um, but anyway, there was only so many teams. In the A's. So we we happened to win. Now you'd call it all AAA, but back then the top teams were the A teams. So we won it all, like more than once, like baseball, hockey, and soccer in one year. And I remember having so much fun, not thinking again about the NHL or anything else, man. It was about having a Blades or a Blazers jacket and uh, hanging out with the boys. It really was. But when I was 10, then my dad took over coaching the Mount Pearl Junior Blades. When actually when I was eight or nine, and it started to pay dividends when I was 10 or 11 because they would have the ice. They'd have, um, you know, and they were winning. They were back-to-back years. They won one year. They won the whole Atlantics. They were, and they didn't lose a game all year, like anywhere. They didn't lose in this league. They didn't lose in the playoffs. They didn't lose in the Atlantics. Um, and it was a good group. Not a lot of people went away at the time. So a lot of the Newfoundland talent stayed and, and you know, as you know, now there's all kinds of players playing away, you know, they're being developed the same places, you know, so we have real good junior B teams for that reason. I mean, they, you know, they could, they, they could have gotten by in junior A, but anyway, so the thing was they were, they were good and they had a lot of practices and they could have the ice really whenever they want Mount Pearl were behind them. And the, you know, the, the, the Smallwood arena was there and my mom ran the scheduling. So they, you know, they, the, and the boys wanted to, there was God, I could get into it, but, Patty O'Keefe, who a lot of fans knows, plays hockey with me still on the Caps, played pro, won a championship with St. Mary's. His father, Pat, was an awesome player. And they had a good group, and Keith Hoyles and Dave Bailey and Gary Martin and Kevin Hodge and Darren Taylor. 
Glenn Shea. I, I, I'm trying to name everybody, but I, uh, <clears throat> be nice. But look, just trust me. They had a fucking, I forgot people, but they had a great squad for like three or four years. And then the senior league came in. And again, there was players paid that played in the NHL. Like Gordy Glant played with us. And he was like four years at the WHA, a couple in the NHL. Kevin Morrison was here. Bill McDougal, before he went to Tampa Bay and played, he was here. It was like a developmental league almost. Bill McDougal played senior here and the next season played in the American Hockey League and set the record. Check it. 16 games played 52 points the year before he's playing in the Port of Basque Mariners. Port of Basque had about 2,000 people. So senior hockey here is off the charts good. And a lot of people follow it. Uh, you know, those rinks, especially back then, were all packed. So it was real serious. And there was a lot of practices and, and there was a lot of ice time. And, and we just my dad would let myself and my buddies come out on the ice and practice with them. But I mean, it wasn't with them. And I've often said that, and no, that would be outlandish for a bunch of Adam and Pee Wee kids. But it was when they, when my dad stopped and you know, how he can talk. So sometimes he would stop and like explain a drill and then get talking about Jimmy Schoenfeld or Pi Fates McKenzie. And it was over. They'd go for 20 minutes, just sitting there looking at the board. So we'd just be out then. And, you know, we normally only had our tracksuit and our, skates and sticks they were they were letting us go with no helmet if you can believe it and uh we were you know just be firing the puck around and then when they left you know when practice was over the guys were good i mean they could have just you know done whatever and used both ends but usually one goalie would stay out real late and and you know they'd pepper him in one end and we'd go play in the other and then and my mom would usually do it that that was the last practice of the day again she did the scheduling for mount pro minor hockey and if there was a last practice then the Zamboni driver or whatever probably would be lenient with us. And that was his name was Tony Fonsfaulo. And he's a legend now in Mount Pearl. At the time, he was becoming one, but he drove the Zamboni. He was a rink attendant for, uh, God, I, I wouldn't know, um, and up until just a year and a half, two years ago. And, you know, he was a vet when I came into minor hockey. I mean, I wasn't good till I was 10, but I was, you know, skating when I was three and four and five. Actually, 11, I wasn't really good till. But anyway, and this is a big reason. So he would often then just let us play, you know? And if I was like, oh, but if I leave, the door is going to be locked. I want to go down to the store, like run down, you know, grab a couple of Gatorades and a pizza burger. And he would be fine with it. He'd just say, as long as I'm here. So we'd just kind of open the back door that we could get back in. We'd skate and, you know, we'd, we became real good. I mean, I mean, two or three hours extra, we somehow, some, sometimes we'd have three on three tournaments. Like, I mean, until two or two 30 in the morning, whatever had to be at the rink, if he was doing it, he didn't care. He just, before he left, he had to flood it. And I, I mean, I didn't tell that story for years because I didn't want to get him in trouble, but he's not doing it anymore. But I, I, you know, because I don't know if people that employed him being the city of Mount Pearl would have loved to know that, nor that, you know, the kids were out there without helmets on and shit, you know, like we were just doing whatever. I mean, sometimes we did, but you know, whatever we were doing, you know, we would do breakaways in our track suits. I mean, we had gear, but you know, we were, we, there was a lot of not following the rules. And I even imagine when we were 12, 13, there was people smoking in there. And as long as we didn't leave a mess, but I mean, again, if we fucked up once we were gone. So we had a great mutual re relationship and, you know, there was a lot of my memories are from that old Smallwood Arena for that reason. So Fonce Fallow did it for years. You can look it up. Tony Fonce, P-H-O-N-S-E, uh, Fallow. 
And he had a stroke a couple years ago and the community raised, I think we raised like twenty-four, $25,000 for him because he, he luckily survived the stroke, but you know, he had some health problems. He can't do what he loves to do anymore. And he was a man of simple tastes, right? He had his little house up there on Pine Bud Crescent, just up the road from where I grew up. And it, the, the bottom part of Mount Pearl, Mount Pearl's, I don't know, 30 or 40,000 people. But my, my place and his place were here when there was 50 houses, right? Because first it started as people from St. John's one like a little cabin getaway. There's a river that right, you know, he lives on one side of the river, I live on the other, where my parents did. So anyway, and his, his brother, Bert, is my godfather, you know, because he grew up with my mom and, you know, it's a tight knit little area of Mount Pearl down here. It goes back way, you know, there's still areas of Mount Pearl that are expanding, although for, for other reasons I won't get into politically, but it, it can't expand too much. <laughs> there's St. John's got us... Um, pretty much closed in but anyway um so sorry the phone rang there <clears throat> and to answer it um I, I mean i'm at my parents do this from my uh, dad's basement now it's actually pretty good i'm going to start trying to put some video footage up as well. Anyway, getting back to fonts. So I, you know, for years, we, we've been here in Newfoundland and there's been ups and downs with, uh, with just my, my family, my friends, you know, my personal life, everybody goes through them. And, but, you know, a couple of years ago, I promised my daughter, I said, you know, what, what do you want? Like we, your team with me. And she did some work with me. I said it when we were filming a movie and she did. I mean, she legitimately worked on it with me called the fire in the cold season. And she made, you know, a little decent paycheck out of it. And uh, I mean, per se, but whatever, I'm not going to blurt out what she made, but it was nice for a, an eight or nine year old at the time. And uh, so she said, well, I'm going to put my money away and, it's hundreds of dollars. Okay. But she said, I was, um, I'm going to put it away and, and we'll get a house. And I was like, well, what do you want? She was, I'd love to get a house daddy. And cause I was renting at the time and not that every kid knows what renting versus owning means, but, uh, I, I just brought it up. I said, you know, I'm going to get us back into a place. And, uh, you know, what kind of vehicle would you want? She said, I want a white Jeep. You know, I want a white Jeep and I'd, I'd love to get a place in Mount Pearl. And, um, you know, most of the newer places in Mount Pearl are, you know, the market didn't really crash or anything. They're, they're, they're what a new house in an area that's booming with young families would be, right? And um, so I said, we'll wait at least another year. And anyway, I look that day. I said, well, I don't suppose. And she said, well, we can always look. And we looked together. And Fonce's place was for sale. And I didn't even know that. And it's it's tiny, right? It's tiny, but it's built. It was built as a cabin, but it's everything's, you know, the structure. It's all it's all good. It passed the inspection with flying colors. And out back, there's a little path. It used to be the railroad tracks. It kind of runs by, and there's a river there, and a, so there's no one that could build behind you if they wanted to. And he has this little fire 
the stove there that when we would walk by, we'd walk up over the bank. It's kind of looking down over a bank, very wooded area. And there's a little trail you can barely see. We can see people going by. And when it was Penny Lane and I, we would run up over the bank. Anybody, me and whoever just relates to Penny Lane, but it could be buddies, Mike Smith, Smitty I grew up with. We, we dropped in. That's the last time I remember seeing Fonts, you know, in, in that setting. And uh, we would, uh, you know, so I'd often sit up there with him and he'd just put wood in the fire and have a beer and we'd have a chat. And he is a great storyteller. He's actually, if you can believe it, who in, in, I, I, in Shorzy, I had to come up with a Newfoundland accent. And it's, it's like, and Jared, you know, I, I don't think I'm talking out of school here. I hope I'm not. Um, he watched a lot of Coldwater Cowboys, and but they're, they're different accents. If I learned one thing in folklore doing Newfoundland courses, it was that there's a lot of different dialects for how little, you know, there's just over half a million people here. Maybe a little bit more than that now, maybe six, 650. I know it's around there, though. It's not a million people on the island. But there's a lot of different dialects. Uh, and some places, for example, they'll drop an H or add it like center ice is center heist uh, or we used to laugh. One of one of the kids on our team, Jason Hurley, growing up, his dad's name was Ed Hurley. So if you went around the bay, they'd or some bays, they'd say, "Head early, head early." Where, where, what are you at, boys? Heady early, is it? Well, you guys in from Mount Pearl, are you okay? Well, puck drops at center hoist at five o'clock, right? At five o'clock. So, but I I can recognize those accents, but I, I can't do it subconsciously. So when I was looking at these lines that I had in Shorzy. I had to pick some kind of different Newfoundland twang, I guess. I mean, I didn't have to, but yeah, I kind of had to. So I picked Fonts. And, and now he talks, if, you, if anybody saw me in Letterkenny um, in that one scene, I'm, I'm doing, kind of doing a font. It's, it's slow. His is a bit slower. Look at young Ryan there now. Boy, what do you got now? The ball hockey's coming up, is it? Right? He's, he's like that, but but I knew because we used to imitate him so much. So I knew uh, what I, I knew the, the way the accent went. I just had to speed it up a bit. And honestly, and I mean, I spoke a little bit. We, we, we would say in Newfoundland, there's townies and there's Bayman, but it depends which part you're from. There's all kinds of places that sound completely different. Some places it's like you're in Ireland and some places it's like you're in England and some places it's like, where the fuck are you? Uh, and then, you know, you, by the time you come into town, I'm sure you guys can tell I have an accent, but trust me, it's not. It's not as thick as a lot of other places. So anyway, I had to go with something. So that's what I went with, fonts. And if you can believe it, now we uh, we just, um, yeah, so that's it. We're, we're, we're Penny Lane and I are, I, I still say it because it's, everything's been done, It's but it's still kind of in the works until I'm in there and don't get hit by a bus. I, I, I don't want to say it, but yeah, but by all accounts, it looks like, our new house is Tony Fonts Follow, the legends. Old, well, is his house. It'll always be his house. Above the mantle, I'm going to put a big picture of him and I and Penny Lane. I'll post that soon. If you guys uh, watch my Instagram, I'll post it soon. And that's always going to be there. And uh, anyway, I couldn't be more excited. Killed a lot of birds with one stone. And uh, we get to literally live in the presence of Fonts. So we're pumped to say the least, and um, it's been a busy week. But enough of that. My guest, Randy Petruck.
who I haven't talked about, but he's waiting on me. So uh, great goalie, great guy, Memorial Cup champion. We'll get into all the rest of it. Two shakes of a lamb's tail. Ready for truck coming up. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big day payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call the TN Red Line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7 or visit ccp.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest played four years in the WHL for the mighty Kamloops Blazers, arguably the best junior hockey dynasty ever. He won the Memorial Cup as a 16-year-old starting goalie in 1994-95, a feat rarely done before or since, and still stands out in my mind as one of the most impressive goaltending displays ever from such a young prospect. He then went on to play seven years professionally, including three seasons in Cincinnati, a place he now calls home. He is a personal, a personable puck stopper, a great goalie, a brave blazer, a Cranbrook kid, a chipper champion, an open-minded opponent. In a big game, you could bet this guy was in the net. He led the way for his team, and he was only 16. A year later, you know, he was drafted to the show. He was too young for the burr, you see, so I handed him my fake ID. He played hard every night, while most goalies caught with his left, he caught with his right. He was born in Cranbrook back in the day and now resides in the USA. He's got nice hair but never had braids, and he also played for the Florida Everblades. Clint Black, folks, had a good run of bad, bad luck. And please welcome to the show... My buddy, Randy, the Hammer Petruck. How the hell are you, Randy? I'm doing great, Dave. Hey, good to see your face finally. Uh, obviously, we catch up on social here and there, but yeah. uh, it's been a while since we chatted, and uh, I don't know if I've ever had an intro like that, so I'll take it. Oh, well, you deserve it. So right now, just before we get into anything, you're hiding in a conference room at work, hey? I am. I just uh, snuck over into a, a little quieter room. We got three sales guys out of our office here. And where, and, uh, where, where are you working? I'm uh, I'm at a, if you don't mind saying that, that could be a two personal question, you know, no, no, Rehab corporation. We're uh, industrial sales. I sell uh, compressed air systems to uh, big manufacturing facilities here around uh, in the tri-state. How did you get in? Did you go right into that from hockey? I mean, Cincinnati's a great fucking city too. I would have stayed there if I had a good opportunity. I know. I, I did like it. I loved it so much. I married two girls from here. So I was uh, <laughs> stuck here locally after my uh, son. Well, I wasn't stuck here, but decided to stay and call it home oh, yeah. uh, after my son was born. But no, got into a different uh, sales gig fairly quickly after I was done. Uh, did some odds and ends jobs. I was 
landscape. And I was even selling beer at the Reds games a few seasons with my uh, ex uh, brother-in-law. That was a, a fun. That wouldn't be that bad a gig. You get a free oh. ticket and you're, you're making people happy. I've often, honestly, you think I'm fucking around, but we were at a Jays game. I guess it would have been three years ago now. It just blends all together. But I thought that I said, you know, there's certain jobs that, you know, when you say them, that it kind of sucks, but I'm like, I don't know. You get good exercise. You're getting in to see the game. Every right. time it's something major is going to happen, you can just stop because no one wants you and you can just watch, you know, I, and you're making people happy. Right. Right. You're giving them beer. Right. Um, actually, funny story about that. One of the gigs that we did, um, we got the opportunity as a small vending group here um, to go up and work the World Series in Detroit one year. They needed a additional vendors. So how I meet my hometown hero born in Cranbrook. We take credit for him of Steve Eiserman, the legend in Detroit. I'm selling beer at the world series game in Detroit. And I put my bucket down and I went over to introduce myself. I got my bright yellow vendors gear on. I'm like, Steve, of course, everybody recognizes him. I'm like, I'm from Cranbrook. And there's a, there's a Catholic or there's a private school in Detroit, Cranbrook. So it often gets confused. He's like, Oh, you went to I'm like, no, Cranbrook, BC, I sat down and he shot the shit for a while. It was great. It was uh, that of all, all the ways to meet uh, one of your heroes growing up. That was, uh, that's how I get to meet Stevie Y, which was hilarious. I remember that playing uh, for Quinnell Millionaires against the Cranbrook Colts. And uh, there was a big thing cause, because it's weird. A few years later, I went to Nepean. and I think people say, I think they claim him too. I think he left when he was like 13 or something. So yeah. he played minor hockey in two places, but that, now so Cranbrook is one thing. So I guess, I, I guess, and that's as good a place to start or to continue as any. So growing up, and I always wondered, did, did you know right away goalie? Most goalies I know didn't know right away goalie. They just ended up in goal and then they were a little bit better maybe than the other kids and then they develop. Or, or you know, were you goalie all the way? And by extension, who was your favorite hockey player as a kid? So how that all came to be is my cousin, who was five years older than me, lived down the road on a 700-acre ranch, never was really afforded the opportunity to play minor hockey and go on and kind of pursue a thing. But as you know, where we're from, hockey is life. So um, what happened was he would bring me down. I'd go ride the bus down to his house after school, and we'd play street hockey until dark. And, you know, me being five years younger, I'm talking I'm probably five, six, seven years old at the time, him being 10, 11, me shooting on him just – didn't make as much sense, but for him, he made it fun for me. I'd put on the pads and, you know, the frozen tennis ball and he'd be, you know, Pelly Lindbergh, huge save, Grant Fuhr. So that's just where my, my love of wanting to, he made it fun for me at that age um, to want to be the hero and uh, put the pads on. But I would say those two guys, uh, obviously Pelly Lindbergh. Uh, Pelly Lindbergh. I was just going to say, what a great reference. Yeah, the terrible uh, accident, but, you know, we had the street hockey mask, Pelly Lindbergh, and then uh, Grant Fuhr being my hand, being, you know, on the dynasty and up, up in Edmonton, uh, playing that acrobatic style. I mean, he was definitely uh, the guy I wanted to play like and be. Interesting. Yeah, that is. And Pelly Lindbergh, for those who don't know, because that's a name that got lost, but he was a good looking dude, great goalie, uh, Philadelphia Flyer, and I believe it was a car accident in his mid-20s. But we would have been, you know, I, I was six or seven, eight years old. He was mid-80s. Interesting. You, you always wonder where people, you know, because it started somewhere. First, I, I was saying earlier, my dad used to have extra ice time. And I, I wasn't particularly good or did I have much of an interest. But once I started skating with the puck, 
you know, if it was now I'm going to go that direction. You could have strap pads on me if I was good or if, right. if I was even close to it, I probably would have stayed at it. Right, right. Um, now it's ch- changes a bit. Nowadays, there's more people, parents that are pushing their kids. You know, you're not going to be this. Um, yeah. Which makes no sense. Um, so Kamloops. For a lot of reasons. Now, Kamloops. So how did you get from Cranbrook to Kamloops? Because for those who don't know, I referred to it earlier, but you were part of a huge dynasty. In my time out west, Kamloops Blazers, uh, I was drafted into the WHL in the 91-92. They won the Memorial Cup. Then they won it again in 93-94 and again in 94-95. Not the West, not the Western Division, not the Western League. They won the Memorial Cup. So, and not only that, uh, Randy in 1994-95 being his rookie year, as a 16-year-old, was their starter for the playoffs. Now, we'll get into all that. I remember that kind of changing of the guard happening. But what I want to know is how did you get there? Because they always had great scouting. Guys like Darcy Tucker from Ndiang, Alberta, they'd, they'd find. Uh, guys like, uh, you know, Aginla was a great player. He, everybody knew he was one of the best, but Kamloops found a way to get him there. You know, like, so how did you end up there? I was drafted, I guess, if you were 91, I guess I would have been 92 or 93 as a 14-year-old as well. Um, we had quite the pipeline at that time from Cranbrook. Um, and I credit Glenn Saunders, who was a scout that, uh, you know, all those junior scouts. Boy. Brady Lukowicz, I remember playing against him as a 15-year-old down in the old Rocky Mountain League. So I went from Scott Niedemeyer, not a bad player, yeah. uh, also Cranbrook boy. Um, then you had Niedemeyer Jared- then. Jared Bouquet, who's now a yeah. player, um, defenseman. Then you had Bob Motti, myself, and Brad Lukowicz all huh. in that uh, in that same. So, yeah, in that uh, stream of time, you know, between, I guess, 91 to 97, 8, when I left, um, yeah, there was quite a quite a pipeline there from Cranbrook, so it was kind of a hockey hub. And there's a ton of other guys, uh, guys that uh, obviously one of our good friends and mutual buddies, Craig Stahl, that you played with in Tri Cities, um, also a Cranbrook boy. I mean, there, it the list goes on. Uh, we were pretty fortunate to be from such a small town of seventeen thousand, I think it was, to to put as many guys where where we went. Uh, it's great place too, man. I just love that area. I love, and it's you know, whichever direction you, you go, there's some nice outdoors there's mountains um yeah i just absolutely love that whole my, my whole british columbia experience to be honest now so you guys and there's by by the way bob Motti, because i never t- talk about it enough guys like that don't get talked about he's people forget who great two-way player surrounded by so many big time right. prospects and and stars that ended up being that he gets lost in time but what a great two-way player he was um so look I'm wondering, for those who don't know, this is just some of the list just from 94, 95. And I saw I was trying to think who I, I think of. I didn't go online to get this. Darcy Tucker, Shane Doan, Jerome McGinley, Nolan Baumgartner, Jason Strudwick. People forget Nat Dominic Kelly, how good he was, how fast he was. A good NHLer for a little bit. And I, I believe he went overseas, but way underrated. Tyson Nash. I mean, he was a third liner and he got 400 games in the NHL. Ryan Huska, you forget. Jason Holland played for Buffalo. If I say I've almost had to do a deep dive in my head for that. And he was a great player. You got Keith McCambridge, Rob Skurlak. I mean, who in the room? I won't. There's a bad way to ask it. I was going to say who was the biggest leader, but that no, no, no. 
like each per like I guess the, a better question would be all of these people are leaders and, and rather than let ego go to their heads, then they all came together. So it must have been an unbelieving, un unbelievable feeling of confidence in that room with so many people with so much of it. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was just no shortage of it. And as a 16 year old coming in, you know, I knew Brad, obviously Lukowicz, because we, you know, kind of grew up in the same town. Mods a little bit, a little more a quiet guy. Um, but knowing some of these guys coming in and not really knowing a lot of them, but just knowing the names. And, you know, obviously they'd come off winning the Memorial Cup in Laval the year before. And a lot of that team was back. But you're right. I mean, between Aginla, Strudwick, Huska, um, one you didn't mention because he didn't ever quite make it, but went on to a long pro career and his son's now a Western League guy is uh, Aaron Keller. Great defenseman. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable defenseman. Yeah. Yeah. So 70, 80 <laughs> points. Holy, <laughs> that made my job a lot easier, obviously. So, um, but just I, like you said, uh, starting from the top with the, with the coaching staff with Don Hay, um, it was just a room of leaders and it was a great, uh, great scene to be in for sure. That, that era of Blazers reminds me like in Montreal, because like my assistant coaches there were Steve Shutt, Yvonne Cormier and, and, you know, I, I, my 19 year old year, I was there almost all year, almost all year, played the three games. But so I was around them every day. If there's like one thing that I really look back at and, and I mean, being around them and there was so many like from like the late 70s, they had so many winners and they would like they would win and they would win. And all these players would come down and be part of this alumni that almost seemed un unachievable. So you, you like your group remind if, if there's one parallel in junior hockey when a guy like brad lukowicz and i often say this people go oh yeah i think i remember that i'm like yeah two memorial cups and two stanley cups with two different teams like and you almost forget if any most other junior teams he's the player of of the century right mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, and he's like he, he's like fourth D, <laughs> you know, if you, if I wasn't mention all those names, you know, legacy, you know, probably like eighth or ninth, I'm not taking away from Luco. I love him. It's just, right. that's how good it was. So listen, I remember this, how good the team was. You're playing us. And one of the, I think one of the reasons I got drafted where I did definitely, it didn't hurt that, that I had eyes on me every night in that division. Cause there was a lot of, you know, even Spokane, they played a, the style that was really desirable. If you're an NHL scout, um, and the teams in our division, I mean, you forget even Prince George, they didn't win much, but in like a three year span, they had Sheldon Surrey, Zidane Chara, Eric Brewer. It wasn't an easy division to play in and Kamloops happened to be in it. So, and, and then we played you guys in the playoffs. Now we lost four games to two, but I know that it elevated myself and Lanx's status because we, we did it against you guys and like we did all right. I remember we, we had a lot of points, everything seemed to go right. And everything I shot went in. So at some point during that series, the goal, because the starting goalie, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going off my mind here. So maybe I'm wrong. Was Rob Branch. I, I know that because he was their goalie the year before. Until Passmore, I think, came back. It could be off by a year. But anyway, uh, you, right. you were in there. So you played. We, we knew who you were. You were in the regular season, but he was the starter. And I remember like, and, and some of them just like, I shoot it from behind the net, hit a, a leg and bounce in. You know, when you're in the zone, when you're, I could come out after a game and go, fuck, like I really didn't play that well. And you have four points, you know, like, and we were in that zone. And I remember going at some point, they're going to take him out the way I remember it. Rod branch again, it's a hard position. I'm certainly not, I'm not throwing stones at all, 
but he had a hard series against us. And I'm I'm wondering, was it at the end of that series? Because you guys had to go on and play Brandon, or I know it was Brandon, I think. Yep. And I believe they won the first game. I, I don't know. And then I watched the Memorial Cup on TV, and you're the starting goalie. Am I wrong? And so was it against us? Did you start, or was it one or two games against Brandon? Weren't they up two games or nothing on you guys? Yes. Brandon was up two nothing. So I played... I think I only went in one game against you. I, I, honestly, that part's a little vague because the rest of it is really where my memories come in. And, and uh, yeah, no, Roddy was great for us all year. And it just happened to be one of those things where it kind of steamrolled. And I think you look back and I'm a 16 year old kid coming in and, you know, we're hosting the Memorial cup of sure. We didn't want to go in the back door. You know, that was our goal all year and and just being the host team um, just get there. But I think if you put me in that situation as an 18 or 19 year old, when you're feeling a little bit more pressure, I think that's, you know, it would have been a lot tougher. Me, I, I went in there. I was so excited to get the opportunity, but we went back home. Roddy got the start in game one and two against Brandon. We lost both games. I think I went in and bop up duty in the third period. Um, and we went out to Brandon for three games. Wow. We took the two, three, two, the old days of the two, three, two. two, two. Yeah, we did that. Um, so at that point I get, you know, Hazer, the coaching staff, it's, we got none to lose at this point. So I went in, um, I think Ivan Voljaninov scored, uh, in overtime to win five, four in game three, we win game four, we win game five. I'm the guy all of a sudden we're coming back home. (laughs) Bob Brown had told us if we won all three games in Brandon, we'd fly home. We won all three games in Brandon. I don't think he was expecting it. We still got on the bus and, and drove back across the country for game six at home. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's a long, for those that don't know, there ain't nothing like it. They, they call it the fucking iron lung in the Western League for a reason. It's like a 30 fucking hour. It's, it's 25 hours. Yeah. It's 25 hours over there to Brandon from where, where our, our neck of the woods. You, got, you guys were north from us, but we were pretty much as west. Yeah. So then we get back home, we play game six and win it. We got a week off practice, all the hubbub of the, you know, host the Memorial cup, all the sideshow stuff we had to do. Um, and then we, we drew hall the first game of Memorial cup. Hazer sticks with me. We kind of go on a roll. Um, and, and there it is. I stayed in for all four games and we kind of won going away against the Detroit junior wings, uh, in the final, uh, we weren't going to, we came out. That place was uh, yelling, "Keep the cup!" Rocking in all white, six thousand strong. It was uh, it was a pretty amazing scene to think back on. That's funny because when we played you guys in the playoffs, we did. We're the only time I've ever flown in junior. We played what it, I can't remember. I know we lost four to two, but four games to two. But uh, we flew back and we were all rested. And I, I was like, just. Don't let anybody on that team know. Like Tux is going to use it as firepower for sure. <laughs> I wanted the bus. I was like, I'd rather go into it with the bus because it's going to be twisted around that they're the underdog. And if you can make them think that because we had rest, it's over. And sure enough, game six was at home and we lost like fucking nine to two, which brings me up to the Memorial Cup. I seem to recall it was. Uh, I don't remember anything about the tournament. I remember the final against it was Brian Burrard's team. Was, was it the Plymouth or, or was it Detroit Red Wings then? Either way, was, yeah. who was it? Detroit Junior Wing. They were junior up. Wings, and yeah. you guys fucking crushed them. It wasn't even close. So, yeah. I mean, and that was in Kamloops, right? Yes. Yeah, we were hosting. So it was, uh, 
in the world and where do you go from that? You're 16 years old. Most of your buddies are not only are not it's still in high school, they're in grade 11. They still haven't graduated high school and you've got TSN cameras from all NHL scouts, all kind the whole hockey world, they're on you, they're on Kamloops, you're the goalie. I mean, what it's impossible to sum up, but what was going through your mind? Well, that's just it. Like there as a 16 year old, like I said, bright eyed, bushy tailed, so excited to play, you know, grew up watching the Blazers, you know, as a minor hockey kid going to either Kamloops or Spokane for hockey tournaments and getting to go to a game. It was part of the reason I wanted to go to the Western League. And then, you know, a short time later, I'm two years out of Bantam and I'm hosting the Memorial Cup over my head, hoisting the Memorial Cup over my head at home and, you know, playing with legendary players, guys that are now Hall of Famers and, uh, you just, you don't know. I mean, you go into that next year hoping that uh, you can come close to reliving the same thing. And, um, you know, it didn't, didn't ever quite work out. I always joke that I peaked at 17. <laughs> you know what I don't understand about your career? I followed it and I, I until I looked today and I, I didn't have to do much of a deep dive because I knew your career and I, I, I've, you know, we're friends on Facebook and stuff. This isn't coming from nowhere, but I didn't, I remember at the time noticing and it, it it was lost on me for all these years. Your best stats, though, I don't get it. It, it was, I had to write it down because you had in the American Hockey League, you know, 203. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like you played one game. I think you played like 30 or 40 games. And you had your best stats, like a fucking 917 or something. So what, like, how do you not get an opportunity with all that winning in the past? And, you know, you had some solid numbers. What happened? Yeah, that was a... Uh... That year was a struggle for me. I mean, we we had a very. I think my record was also four twenty and three. I had right around a three goals against average, which at that time wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible. And then the um, save percentage on those teams. If you're on a bad team, you look at it, save percentage, and I know it still can be broken down, but for me, uh, it's very telling. Yeah, and I was I kind of got re-energized after that year after spending a couple of years in the East Coast League before that, and then going back. Um, Went home with my goalie coach, Ian Clark, in the summer. Went back to Vancouver, worked out with him. Um, I was I was amped up, and me and my mom were driving back from Vancouver to Cranbrook. And I remember getting a call from Jason Carmano saying, hey, we're going with a smaller camp this year in Carolina. We're just going to – we know you have a family in Cincinnati. We're going to loan you out to, to the uh, – back to the Cyclones, who weren't the affiliate East Coast League team anymore. So um, – that was disheartening. That was kind of honestly, I think, kind of the beginning and the end. I played a couple more years in the in the coast, but uh, that that one hurt because I feel like I'd kind of re-energized, put the put the effort in, put the work in, and had it came off a fairly good personal year. Um, again, as a team, we didn't have a gr- great team that year in Lowell, so it was uh, disheartening in that way. But yeah, that was a little frustrating for sure. It's it's funny because and and you know our expectations. And everything else. And it really is, especially if you're a goalie, man. Like there's two now. I, I don't know how many teams go with three, but at the time, even, you, you know, in Fredericton, we had Matthew Garon, um, Thomas Vokun and Jose Theodore. We, we sent Vokun down. Some some teams now would even opt to go with three, but there's generally two spots on a fucking team. I, I've often said it. I mean, it's hard enough as a player to keep, you know, to stay on top of it and. And, you know, to, to get stats, it's hard to go out and get stats, right? I mean, that's why guys like myself, not why always, but it's why I drop my gloves a little bit more often because, like, if I didn't score for three games, you're feeling the heat. But, you know, there's nine forwards. I technically could play nine positions here. You know, 12, I guess, fourth line, right? Wasn't thinking. But 
Um, for a goalie, it's it's such a different mindset. Go look at a guy like the Hamburglar, right? He'll go up and have a 20 game set records and then gone for a bit and then back. And it's so sporadic. So it's funny how you look at it and, you know, oh, you know, that was a tough year. But if you were to tell a hockey fan out there, some of them might be listening, that you you played in the American Hockey League and posted some fantastic states. Not, it, wasn't, it was a game or two. And then even in the coast, like you played, what, seven years professional hockey, won a Memorial Cup. You know what I mean? But while you're going through it, I was the same way, dude. Like, you know, while you're going through it, you know, in, in, in Cincinnati, for example, I remember coming out and smashing my stick after a game and I didn't see eye to eye with the coach. And then like, you know, breathe. Looking back, I'm like, Jesus, I went on a riverboat that day. You know, I went <laughs> to see the Reds. play. Like, you know, it really wasn't that bad. But at the time, you look at it. So I didn't really plan this question, but it's more, more of a fucking statement with, with me. But like where you are now, you chose Cincinnati. So you must enjoy it. I see that you coach your kid or at least you're at all his games. It seems like you're one of the coaches. So life works in mysterious ways because I'd fucking love to have a job in Cincinnati, I tell you. So your decision to stay and go back three times, is that fluke or do you really love it? Because three separate occasions you went back to play in Cincinnati. No, I absolutely do love it. And like I said, I had kind of set up shop here. Um, my, my now ex-wife, but my, my son's mom, obviously from here. And I was, uh, you know, devoted to being a good father and kind of, um, sticking with, with that. So I definitely do love it here. Kind of living in all four quadrants of the U S and being all around, I think, uh, the Midwest kind of exemplifies kind of back home without, uh, um, you know, maybe not quite the scenes, the scenery, but, uh, no, I, I do love it here in Cincinnati and, uh, I'm, I'm sure this is going to be home for a long time, but, um, yeah, I'm coaching my son's high school varsity team. He's a senior for those of you back home. That's grade 12. <laughs> we get lost in translation a little bit here with, uh, with the terminology, but, uh, so he's, he's moving on and going to, uh, he's going to go, uh, enroll at Ohio state next year. He's kind of given up the hockey thing. He, you know, I'm sure it'll still be part of his life, but I think back, there's been a lot of parallels this year. I've, find it funny with him being uh, in grade 12, getting ready to graduate. And uh, I remember that age for me, likely for you just the year before was uh, I was not worried about graduation. I was, or, or prom, I was getting my suit and ready for the, for the NHL draft. So um, just ever, my son's, my son is very studious. He's done a hell of a job becoming a, uh, a better goalie. He's also was named captain as a goalie this year. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been awesome coming up through with him. I was his assistant coach up until a couple of years ago when uh, the legend here in Cincinnati, Don Biggs, he, uh, yeah. he decided to hung up, hang up his coaching uh, gear. So uh, I kind of took the reins the last two years and uh, just decided this week, I'm going to stick with it. Even though my son will be gone, I'm going to, I'm going to continue on here for next year with this uh, varsity team. Uh, it is a different life, man. I remember that. It's a good story. Um, not that I'll get right into it, but it, I remember I didn't go to my prom in Tri-Cities. I mean, I had no connection to it. I felt grade 10, 11, I was in Quinnell. At least I wanted to like go back up there, but it just didn't, you know, and graduate with my friends or home to O'Donnell where I'm from. But I, you know, I had no, and we would, you know, we were rarely at school. We, we did a, a lot of it even then. It wasn't online, but it was distance because of the situation playing and, so I remember going, but I mean, I was friends with a couple of people in school. A guy, Sean Pollard, ended up playing for the, in the NBA for years. Um, but it was a basketball, football school. We were outliers, and a lot of the girls were interested in that. And so we had no, if there was any friends at all, outside of a short few, it was, it was girls. 
But anyway, I remember going over across the street. There's a big mall, Kennewick Mall, maybe, um, in Tri-Cities. And uh, right across the street from the rink and going in there and everybody was there. And I, I remember buying my suit, but I was buying it for the NHL draft. And I remember right. going, wow, like it's wild how two different universes were in. And I, I'm not being uppity or elitist when I say it. It was the situation. It was just like, wow, you know, like a few months later is my first a a exhibition game. And I got Nintendo playing it in the room, you know. And right. then going down, you know, and the boys are talking about the Stanley Cup last year and shit. I don't know. It was it was <laughs> odd to say the least. Um, so Montreal won the year before you got drafted. Yeah, two years. Ninety two, ninety three. They won it. It was the last so time they won it. And then ninety three, ninety four. They they pit, they shit the bed like they were. And that's why I, I I got picked so high. Right. It was eighth, and it was going the, the power forward, and they picked Tux, and like Aaron Asham in that time, Turner Stevenson. So they really loved the West, and they loved that style until, unfortunately, I was drafted, and four months later, Patrick Waugh went fucking crazy, and they fired everybody. Remember that nine-to-one drubbing? And he was, well, if you know Patrick Waugh, as you do. And, uh, you know, that was I was watching it in junior going, no, no. And these guys were just. They just seem to be really in my corner and then they all got fired. But anyway, I'm not blaming anything. Lots of things happen between then and now, but just saying. But funny parallel there, though, is because then I got drafted by the Colorado Avalanche two years later or a year later after yeah. they won the Stanley Cup. And so you were my fourth round, right? Yeah, my first camp was in Colorado and I was on a team with Patrick Wall. That was my first exhibition game. I split a game. McNichols Arena was packed and halfway through the game, we're playing the Kings and they're like now in goal for the Colorado Avalanche. Oh my four. God. No. And just a hush over the crowd. They're like, who's it? Why, why are we taking? Out oh Patrick my Wall? God. You had to be announced as a Colorado goalie in front of a bunch of fans. That wasn't Patrick Waugh. Right. Holy <laughs> fuck. But that's a great story though. See, that's what I mean. Right. That's a fucking story. An NHL crazy story. And, and it's like, you get numb to it for a lot of people. That would be the most magnificent, magnificent, moment of their lives so it's it's all about perspective not that you're looking to be fucking cheered up i'm just it's interesting to me because when i look down i'm like jesus yeah he was 16 17 even is a young but 16 to win the mem cup man is wild so and you know what's funny so the my first day at camp patrick was there and gaetan lafave was the trainer and but he was he was a jack of all trades he was a stick boy in the 70s and like he worked his way up to like Quit manager slash trainer. It could never happen now. You'd need to have your qualifications. But so he uh, and he knew his way around the room. I'm just saying you can't just be there. Oh, I'm going to fix your fucking knee and I'm going to tape your stick. <laughs> so <laughs> but he had me go over. He thought it'd be good to go over and have a meal at Patrick Waugh's house. I was fucking nervous. And Waugh, you know, I'm sure he was humoring me, but I don't think he really was dying for me to be there. He had, we had nothing to talk about. Like, you know, he was a legend and there's no way I could not see that. Didn't matter how nice he was. But anyway, when we pulled up, Celine Dion was his next door neighbor at the time and she was driving a ride on lawnmower. I swear. <laughs> God, that's the truth. It was bad. I, she was large. My heart, like Titanic hadn't come out yet, but she was still huge. And I thought that that blew my mind. I'm like, oh, this is the NHL. So I had I had pissed Patty off. Well, not on purpose. My first two <laughs> oh, days. No, no, he's not someone you want to piss off. My first two days in camp, they lost my gear in Seattle and I was on his team. So he had to take all the reps. Like he was like, hey, where's your gear? I'm like, I, I don't know. I wish it. And he's like kind of pissed off shrugs and takes off. Well, then we're a couple that we we did our first week of camp down in Colorado Springs. And then we came back and we had a day off. 
um, before that game. I think it was after pregame skate. It might've been that night that I played with him or split the game with him. They're all in the lounge and it was all the, all the French guys, Claude Lemieux and Patty and all, all the guys that were there and Stefan y'all yell my, who was my roommate. And I'm like, Celine Dion's on there. And I'm like, too young and stupid to think about it. But I'm like, oh, can you believe she, I'm trying to make conversation with these, you married, can you believe she's married to that old guy? You know, Renee, oh, her yeah. husband was way old. They all look at me like record scratch, looking at me like, yeah. oh. like he's like, Renee is a very good friend of mine. I'm like, oh, oh bad, dude. bad move, bad move. Can you, can you sign my stick, Patty? I'll get out of here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But there you go. So you see, <laughs> it's, that's, that's very connected as well. <laughs> <laughs> because you're right they were if nothing else they were neighbors so yeah. you gotta figure he knew her well you know I mean, i'm sure they're two fucking high profile people from quebec but you know what i'm saying um geez that's wild uh what was i gonna say oh oh so i'm again my first camp okay now i always and I mean, it, it, it took till like my 20s to really get over it, but I, it wasn't conscious. But in Newfoundland, you had a bit of an inferiority complex. And that comes with, you know, like I was mentioned earlier, play baseball, soccer, ball hockey, and hockey. It happened to win the provincials at some point in those sports. You get to go away and play the nationals. If you're on Newfoundland or PEI, the odds are you're going to play the host the first game. So they fucking paste you and everybody gets a free hot dog and everybody's happy, right? The Newfoundlanders, they try. They try. Well, you love it, right? E for effort for the boys. But so you're kind of used to that. And if you go and play like at the Quebec Pee Wee tournament, you're playing Toronto. It's like, this is a loss. You know, like I, I hate to say it, but that's that. the, the, the and, and for good reason for a lot of that time. So um, I'm I, I just never. And then, you know, so my, my first games in Cornell, same thing. If you look at any team I went to, especially early on in the first 10 games, my stats are poison. Like, it took me a while to just be able to get the puck on my stick and have confidence. And, you know, being a goalie is the same. Confidence is everything, right? You get out there and you're a completely different player. So I was nervous, and Mark Recchi came over and asked me my name, and, and, and I, he said, I'm Rex. And, and, like, I didn't know that. Like, he goes, I'm Mark Recchi, Rex. So I, I went to shake his hand, and my glove was on, and he didn't know what to do. It was really awkward. And then I said, I'm Terry Ryan. Call me Roof. and Because uh, I got Noof and Ryan mixed up, and I was like, oh, fuck. And then they thought it was because like I roofed the puck in there and I didn't. And I was like, anyway, just he goes, just be yourself. Cause I was shaking. You could see my body shaking. I was like almost hyperventilating, like, you know, and I wish I had more of Mark Savard in me where nothing to get, but he, you know, I'd gone to camps with him and everything. And he didn't give a fuck. He's like, I should be here and they should be here. Not in a cocky way, but extremely confident bordering on cocky. And I wish I had more of that in me, but I, 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 I anyway, you just, just be yourself. And Rex said to me, he goes, and I, didn't realize at the time, and I think he played junior in Kamloops. I knew he played in the Western League, and he was like, you know, your stats were just like mine. Like, not that I'm Mark Recchi, but I'm saying he was trying to ease me. He said, you know, you're WHL All-Star. A lot of your teammates and, and opponents are going to be playing up here. Just relax. So I relaxed, and I went out, man, and I fucking shot one neck high on Patrick Waugh. <laughs> and I, I'll never, like, it's such scarred in my head because – I'm not saying he didn't have reason. The, the way it was back then, you know, rookies pick up the pucks, speak when spoken to, and the last person that you want to whiz one up. And, and it wasn't even by, like, it hit his, his, remember he had that dangling, dangling. Yeah. remember that thing off his yeah. mask? It hit that, and he fucking snapped, and he went off. And then I'm like, you know, 
back then that was the way it went. And, you know, you had, you had to live with that. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that now there's more communication. Like I remember a few times being in a room and being so fucking paranoid going like, like when Shane Corson offered me to go out to dinner, it was almost like, Whoa, I was, you know, it was such a weight off my shoulders. Anyway, I just went on about myself forever. <laughs> so, uh, I, Mark Recchi's a connection too. I mean, yes, he did play in Kamloops. He was obviously there before, but he's from Kamloops. So he would always skate with us in the summer and stuff when we were back. And I, I have his number this day. I could text him right now and he'll text me back in five minutes. He is a great guy. As, as good of things you hear about Shane Doan and Jerome McGinley, who are just absolute salt of the earth, great guys. Rex is awesome. Like I didn't really know him. I had once said fucking wild for yeah. a couple sticks here for an auction and then got, you know, guys number. I still talk to him and have had the occasion to run into him once in a while on the road, wherever he's been in Pittsburgh or now in New great. Jersey. Yeah. If they come up to Columbus, you know? Yeah. Great. Listen, when you talk to him again, just really extend, we lost touch. I mean, back then it wasn't even like you could text the social media wasn't even existent. And I'm sure he knows that I, whenever I've come across him, it, it has happened. Last time was probably a decade ago, but just tell him, you know, that a big hello. And he really made me feel good back in the day, him and a, and a few more. I mean, Wah was Wah's Wah. He was like that with fucking Mike Keene. He was the captain, you know, like, so I don't hold that against him. I just, and, and part of life is learning and experience. And he, he just made my time as a professional way easier. And he brought it all back down to earth for me. And there's something to be said for that. I'll never forget it. There's guys like that. Then. I mean, for me, yeah. Yeah. Why that air about him? I mean, and, but I mean, Adam Deadmarsh, Joe Sackick, and Peter Forsberg grabbed me in and, and Luke Curtin one night, and they're like, oh, we're going to dinner, guys. And then when I got to Carolina, like, Rod Brindamore came up to me. Randy Petruck, right? Ron Francis and, and Roddy. Hey, Randy Petruck. They must have went and looked at a friggin' like, who's this guy? Or asked somebody else. I mean, they had no reason to know who we are in our first camp, but just make you feel like part of the squad. And, you know, it was, you know, those guys are, you know, those are ways to stick, stick in your brain forever. There's been a tradition in hockey of leaders being humble and and being very like the best of the best, you know, that once you get talking with them, you know, they can be very inviting and make you feel good. And, it, you know, and they're pretty well spoken. And I hope that continues because the reason that, you know, I don't know who's like, you know, I'm not saying it's in a bad place now at all. I just mean it's dangerous with with Twitter and everything else. You know, the NBA is one thing and I I, I watch. It seems to be, you know, and I'm not saying the way they dress or anything. It's not a black, white thing. It's not a culture thing. It's, it's, it's whoever, you know, it's the game. And I got no complaints. But what I, you know, what I'm saying is that other sports, I think there's a few glaring for lack of a better word, assholes and hockey has, you know, I know they have them, but the leaders in hockey, generally it's been passed down, especially in Montreal. Like, you know, when I'm talking with Pierre Turgeon, who was our captain for a bit and, and Vincent Tom you know, they, even though it seems like a long time ago, they're not that far removed from rocket Richard, right? Captains, captains, assistants, assistants, right? Even guys like Lyle Odeline are following in that. And the, the direction hasn't really changed yet. In a lot of other sports, it's been like, I can do this and I'm give me the money. Kyler Murray put out a thing today, a statement. Did you see that? Yeah. A statement yeah. that now he's under contract. and I couldn't even make sense of it. Is he saying he wants more now and they haven't even won yet? And as a player, I, that's the last thing. Can you imagine saying that? Holy fuck. I wouldn't want to walk in the dressing room. And hockey hasn't really lost that yet. I think someone would 
get shit on if they fucking made that move. Whereas I think in football or in a lot of other sports, they're championing it. I, championing it. Now I'm going to get a lot of fucking emails for that one. I disagree, but, no, but then I, you know, I listen to NHL Network. It's pretty well always on in my vehicles. I mean, I, everything that they're talking about, you know, and they want they want the more personality from hockey players and stuff. But we've been such total line, and you, I, it it's good and it's bad. You you want some of that, but you got to make sure that, that some of it, yeah, personality is great. I mean, not to, I'm not go trying to go in your wheelhouse, uh, Joe Burrow. You know, like uh, there's there's a lot of flash. There's I totally get. You know, and there are players a few years ago, P.K. Subban, you know, would take risks, um, you know, but but they were generally good hearted. To me, there was a the Kyler Murray quote today, like was, whoa, that's that's out of left field. And Kyrie Irving taking time off, just personal time. You know, I get it. We're in an age that I'm glad mental health is being looked at and, and definitely taken more seriously. And you can talk. I used to bottle it up. I didn't have many people to talk to. Um, and now you would have more. I, you know, it turns out I did have more. Right. Like the world isn't as mean as people thought. But still, you know, the guy finds a way every year. I don't think it's COVID related. It's always something. He comes back for three games. Then he's got time off and you see him at the bar. I just I don't know. I, I hope we don't get to the point that that's starting to be the biggest influences in the game because the players we're talking about are major players. Kyler Murray is one of the best in the world. And so is Kyrie Irving. I don't think they're great examples for young players. And I hockey hasn't lost that. No, I I agree. There's uh, there's just seems to be a a unwritten rule or a culture, a a belief system that, uh, you know, as I say it all the time. I say it to the casual hockey fans around here, my, my guys at work. Like, I just, you don't, we were talking about it today on the way to lunch. You, you don't have the, quite the individualism that you're trying to do or that they're trying to. Yeah. Like, it's almost the selfishness, right? Like, the self, like, like, uh, well, who's, I think Zegras is a good example. I think Zegras is pretty good for the game. You know, I, right. I, I totally respect John Tortorella, but, you know, and he's got that, you know, swagger in his step you could say he's cocky and everything but i don't know we were down to the nhl all-star game i didn't really converse with him much but he seemed to be everybody in his corner he was telling jokes he seemed to be the life of the party seems to love life that's personality to me I, if he came out and said i'm way better than ryan's gets laugh uh whoa what <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah, I, hope, exactly. I, I have I, I have no doubt that hockey is going in the in the right direction and uh i i, I there that that's my guy, Trevor Zegris. Totally changed. I mean, the Western League he would have been eaten up years ago, but the game changed. I get it, and uh, I think that level of swagger is totally not only permitted but welcome. Okay, I got uh, about ten minutes left. Rapid fire randoms. Are you uh, good to go for ten or fifteen more minutes, Randy Patruck? Absolutely. Let's do it. Here we go. Rapid fire randoms. <laughs> Death Row Meal, you've just committed a major murder. You've gone back and you realize that you've been left off the Memorial Cup. You're pissed off. You're like, what? My name's not on it? Are you kidding me? I was the fucking starting goalie. The guy handling it, you go in, you blow his fucking head off because you're having a rage because you just gambled away $20,000. So you're having a bad day, but you blew someone's head off. Now you're on death row and you die tomorrow. What's the meal that you choose? 20 pounds of raw fish. Lots of wasabi. Uh, you, I don't that, look like a sushi guy, but um, oh, well, <laughs> you'd love Newfoundland, my friends. I need to you come should, back. You should, yeah, you should come back. Frankie Bannum lives in Cincinnati. He was here a few years ago. 
talk about scores from the Western League. So you got to travel Europe in this scenario, okay? And um, one of these people is going to accompany you. Then, you know, you're basically, you've got to join the rooms. But, uh, you know, you're, you, everywhere you go, they go. Chevy Chase, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, or Tina Fey? Mm. You got to go Austin Powers, I guess. Yeah. And good Canadian. Chevy Chase is not Canadian, right? No, that's Dan Aykroyd. And I think the only Canadian of the bunch, so that's good. Although when it comes to comedians, man, I I was counting the other day, man, are we overrepresented. Canadians got that sense of humor. We do. Yeah, that's for sure. Would you go into space if given the opportunity? Yeah, why not? Your favorite athlete other than hockey? Hmm. That's a good question. I've been so narrow-minded for so long. Um, oh, boy. I'll go hometown boy. I'll go Joey Botto, Canadian right here in my backyard. It, that's as good a pick as any. Uh, if you had one superpower other than flying, what would it be? Oh, got to go x-ray vision, right? X-ray vision, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I've had that answer yet, to be honest. It's been invisibility, teleportation, elastic. Good one. And I ask that every time. Uh, one player from everybody, it got to be a teammate, not an opponent, opponent, a teammate. One player to run the music in your life for one year. Ooh. I always did it, so... Oh, Gilbert Dion. Hmm. Gilbert Dion, another uh, link. I met <laughs> yeah. him in my post-Canadian days wor- working with the alumni for games and stuff, and one interesting cat that guy is. Yes, he is. Um, there's not many people I can go out for a beer and a bite to eat and talk less than. And <laughs> I mean that in a good way. He's really interesting. Yes, he is. Um What's this? Oh, your perfect pizza. What's on a perfect pizza? Oh. Sausage, banana, pepper, mushroom. Wow, you seem to... That was varied, but you seem to come at me pretty hard there. You thought about that before. Yeah, I wasn't going to... You've got to change. Now, you're. I know you don't necessarily... You're not a Leafs fan, but in this world, you're the Leafs GM, and it comes up to you You've got to change their colors. And the Leafs are one of the only teams, if I'm not mistaken, the Leafs and Detroit, that only have two colors in their set jersey. You know, of course, there's those third jerseys and eighth jerseys and Cancer Day and yeah. Patties <laughs> and all that stuff. But I'm saying their original, their, their normal jersey that they would go to are white and blue. So... Now you you only get two colors, and you got you have to change both of them. I go back to green and white for the St. Pat's, I guess. So I'll give you white because that's a common denominator. You kind of need white to have your white home or your white road jerseys. Go when did that ones? change? By the way, when we were playing, it was still white at home, right? Yeah, that was. I want to say it was maybe my second, like. 2000, okay. 2001, like right at, yeah, I want to say Someone that. asked me that the other day, and I had no idea. And you know what else I had no idea? 
I posted a picture and it says I was fighting Ty Jones. And I, I remembered the picture, but in the bottom it says the team skated to a 5-5 tie. And I was like, tie? Yeah. When yeah. in the hell? I remember when it went into shootout, we were all right. like, you know, that was split. And, you know, take it or leave it. But I I thought before that it was sudden death overtime, no? Or, or But only five minutes. I think in like the mid-80s or not. Maybe you're up. right. You're right. If because like I remember the Islanders had like 16 ties one year. Yeah, I, I would just said if because if there's no shootout, how would you end it? You can't play all night. No, they but just played five. Yeah. So that was when the shootout started. But that that again, that was around when we finished because you know I finished in you know, 304, I think, around I think you went another year, maybe or two. But I remember doing it in the minors. Anyway. Yeah, we had the shootout. Wild. Um I say in the minors because they always tried the minors first, right? Uh, all these rules people don't realize. Look at the East Coast League now, blue posts. So you, if you see that in the NHL in a couple of years, they're trying that. That's the latest. Change one rule in basketball. And traveling isn't a rule anyways, right? So Call it more. Huh? Three in the key. There you go. It's all right. I, I, I would. That's That was my, I, I would call traveling more. <clears throat> um because I follow basketball, the team I, I don't I, I don't know it deep enough to think of a rule that I just love changed. I think yeah, I don't watch a whole lot. I get into the college game a little bit more down here, but not a lot. Yeah, of you're in that fucking college area. How many fish burgers have you eaten? Ooh, I would say I could count them on one hand. Your first memory. Anything, not hockey, just like, what do you remember? Mine is dad was playing in Kalamazoo and I looked out the window and there was a tornado and everybody was looking at it and kind of hunkering down. And I guess it was mildly traumatizing, although I look back at it with fondness, but that's probably why it's a memory. Is there one of that for you? You know what? This came up on a TV show the other night and I was trying to think of myself and I was like, I, I, uh, I think what I came up with was like, going outside in the morning before uh, like, I don't know, maybe three, four years old with my cap gun, like before my parents were up and just like pretending I was shooting birds. The like cap gun with the red. Yeah. With the red. Yeah. yeah. Bullet roll, whatever that, whatever that's called. Smell, yeah. I had a little pistol six shooter to look like. And, Great smell. Yeah. yeah. You really felt like you were in the West. It was the closest thing. Now you <laughs> could go on red dead redemption or something, but if you saw like a good Western, like John Wayne or something, dad was up watching it having a drink on a Friday before the boys came over. That's when I would get exposed to Clint Eastwood and whatnot. And I <laughs> shot a cap gun. I really did for, it was fairly realistic. I felt closer to Clint Eastwood shooting a, clap, a cap gun than I did Wayne Gretzky taking a wrist shot. <laughs> take, take that for what it's worth. Um, would you chop off a foot and add a hoof for $11 million in Bitcoin? sure i need 11 mil yeah and you could just whatever you could monetize that i'm not sure how but you yeah you could make that into money if you didn't want the bitcoin i guess in this world i'm making the rules give up one of these things forever pizza pasta sushi or burgers slash sandwiches pizza okay you're locked in a room, in a saw kind of situation. Do you know the saw movies? 
Oh, yeah. Like you're in a situation here. Like you're either your like arm is in a vice, but if you go to like scratch your leg, then it's gonna there's gonna be a fucking gun blow your head off. Like you, your your hands are tied. One of these particular people, like you're the person with your arm in the vice, okay? So you're at the very least gonna lose your arm if you don't play ball, or you're gonna get your head blown off. One of these people is in there with you, so it's kind of hopeless, but this person isn't like in anything, so I guess they could try to figure out how to help. It looks it looks bleak anyway, but one of these people, Denzel Washington, Al Pacino, Pitbull, Rihanna, or Brendan Fraser. And Brendan Fraser was the guy in The Mummy, by the way, and I haven't heard of him or seen him in like 15 years. I have no idea what he looks like. I have no idea if, if he's alive. Um, so I just tossed that in because... I started thinking about it as I was writing the question. I, I can see no reason why you would want Brendan Fraser in there, but I'm just adding him just in case you do. Well, as a guy who's threw on some pounds since I quit playing, if you saw Brendan Fraser now, I don't know if you'd recognize him. Okay, at least last time. Um, but I'm going hoo I'm going Pacino. Okay, you're going Pacino. I watched Johnny Grasco the other night. So in this hypothetical world, you've been exposed and you realize, okay, Einstein was right, that there are multi-dimensions happening. So there's alternate universes. Yeah. Not that he clung to that, but that was one of his theories that could be possible. He, he didn't rule it out. So in, in this world, that's true. And you get to skip over. So it's the end of this life. So you're like 92 years old, you're on your deathbed and in a black mirror type plot, whatever it would be, they say, look, here, take this pill in your brain. Whatever we're going to do, you're going to live your life again. You're going to be exposed to the same things, but clearly because of the butterfly effect, it's going to go a different direction. So it starts right after the Memorial Cup. Now, these people have all lived good lives. What I'm going to say could be shocking, but let's just say it's in a live situation. The plane goes down, okay? So you can pick any one of your teammates. Now, you want to live? You want to, you know, you want to do all the things that, you either did do or, or wanted to do your first go around and it's a, a foregone conclusion. You have to pick one of these teammates to eat. Which teammate from the 1994-95 Kamloops Blazers in this alternate universe? Again, they've lived good lives. I don't want to not, you know, I'm certainly not thinking that you're going to pick anybody because you don't like them. I'm saying in this hypothetical, you need to pick somebody to eat more for nutrition than anything. You know, right. someone smoked a pack a day. You might not want to eat them. I mean, who knows? Oh, you're not giving me a list of, I got to say, one of those I'm guys. I'm saying somebody off that team. Yeah. Wow. Uh, blowing the darts, that might take Greg Hart out of the mix. There you go, right? And he'd have a little bit of blubber. He wasn't always in the best shape, but he was thick. He did his job. Now, would that be good? <laughs> would that be good? Would that do you? Would you? You might have more to eat. Right. How long are you going to be on the top of this mountain in the snow? I'm just saying that because it was the movie. Maybe I got to go Aaron Keller since I like Japanese food. There, there's as good a reason as any. There's these these hypotheticals. There's never really a good reason, but that's as good as any. And then it, you'd always have a one liner about it. If anybody ever said anything, you'd say, hey, you know, what do you mean? The guy's dead anyway. And I like Japanese food. Waka, waka, waka. Hey, you know, it'll do something and he's dead anyway. So. It's as good a reason as any. Great answer. Um, I'm not sure the delivery of the question was great, but great answer. You can go anywhere in a time machine. 
Now, you get one round trip. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't alter history. You get one trip. You get to go back. Or you can go ahead. You can go three generations from now, see what your great, great, great grandkids. You might be disappointed. Maybe you don't have any. Or you can go back, see your ancestors are. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe one of them was a total asshole. And you're like, how the fuck did I come out of this person? Whatever it would be. Or you can go to the dinosaurs. You can go to see what Julius Caesar ruled like. Was all those stories true? He probably manipulated them. You could go to see Genghis Khan take over Mongolia and by extension, two thirds of Europe. What do you want? I'll go current events since I'm Ukrainian and go back and warn my uh, great, great grandparents or, or the, the, the follow. I guess you could go back and take out Putin before it all. I, I guess you can't alter history though. Yeah, fuck, I just fucked myself on my own question. <laughs> yeah. In any case, I did not know you were Ukrainian. It totally makes sense. The name just comes. And by the way, yeah, there can't be a lot of trucks, are there? It sounds more normal, I think, than it is. Yeah, apparently it was fairly popular over there, but I don't know exactly how it's changed. Not been a lot. My, like I said, my grandparents, my dad's parents came over at a very young age, and uh, well, my grandfather came first and then went back. But the English, as long as he was alive, the English was never really that great. So um, there was never ancestry stuff done. I know my aunts uh, and some cousins have went back and, and spent time in Kiev and, and learned a lot, you know, but that was 20, 30 years ago. So I didn't, I didn't get a whole lot of family history on that side of the family, but uh, Hey, still, that's a really well thought out answer. And I, you know, it's probably there's interesting answers, but I think that's the best answer. That's the best answer that's ever come to, to address any current events. And of course, our thoughts and prayers are with them. I, I often don't get political on here because it's just draining on people. But I think in this case, we got to throw them our support. Um, okay. I'm guessing, you know, each game you go in the net and you play a full game, you're generally getting from 15, which would be real low to 50. And, you know, anything in between. Is there one save that you remember more than any other? And we're talking about probably over a hundred thousand saves right like i me saying i remember a goal isn't close to a goalie remembering a save whereas i get 50 in my best year and you you've made 50 in one game is there one? Oh, boy that's that is a tough one i don't know I, i'd like to say it was more of a game clinching moment or, or save at a big time, not necessarily a best save, which is kind of a tough one. Yeah. I, I remember making a dive behind me save on Keith Primo and camp in, in Carolina. And I remember it kind of caught the, that kind of propelled me to stick around in camp for a, well a, there that's reason. And it's Keith Primo. I mean, at some point when we, when we went to camp, like just everyday names to us, we're, you know, to a lot of people, like Keith Primo to me is one of the best power forwards ever to play. I, I think he could be the most underrated player of that era. Go back and look at the stats. And I'm telling you, I've often brought it up and I've been called out on it. And people look and you're, I'm like, yeah, man. And he was fucking huge. Yeah, he was. You know, friggin' reach like Lemieux. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Now you got one player to cook for you for a year. Every meal from this player. Hmm. 
Teammate? Anybody? Who can cook? Any any teammate? AJ Baines. You know what? Someone, I think Mike Brown might have said that, but someone brought it up before. This isn't the first time. I got to get AJ on this on this show. Look so it's but, all it's cracked up to be then. That's two links to AJ Baines when I ask that question, and I don't even ask it every time. I've asked like ten people, and two said AJ Baines. I don't even know if he can cook. Interesting. Well, I mean, he must be able to. Brownie said him as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's your last question. You want to win? You've become the GM of this, in this hypothetical world, in this alternate universe. There's also a scientist that came up with a way to bring back the dead in their prime. So it doesn't have to be someone dead, of course, but their options. Your all-time team, you're a GM, and you and your buddy are going head-to-head. You can pick anybody from all time and all three forward positions, two defense and a goalie, except there's a catch. You can't pick anybody named Lemieux, Gretzky, or Howe, or any Habs. <laughs> so Rocket Richard is out. Jean Beliveau's out. Patrick Waugh's out. So my dream team... No Mario Lemieux. No, oh, no hats. No Carey Price. No Carey Price. Hmm. I'm going uh, big safe, Fierzy and Net. Yeah, can't argue with that. I'm going uh, hometown connection, Scotty Niedermeyer on D. Scotty Niedermeyer on D. I'm going to go... Uh, I left him out, by the way. I, you know, I, I had I had Pronger and wait, no, no, I had Pronger and Lidstrom and Niedermeyer was my third. I was so, probably going to go Lidstrom next. If I had Orr and uh, Needs, I'd have no defense because they'd be at the other end of the ice. Yes, and Orr is not in the, you're not allowed to pick Orr. Oh, you said no Orr. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll go Lidstrom then. And up front, I know I'm just kind of going back to home here. but I are, So my centerman was, well, forward can go any three positions. I picked Eisenman, if that's what you're going to say. Not that you need to pick what I pick, but as soon as you said Niedermeyer hometown, I'm like, Jesus, I actually picked someone from Cranbrook as well. There you go. Imagine uh, that. Like, that was nearly mine, too. He was my third. So two players on my all-time fucking team outside of those are from Cranbrook, you know, you got to give an extra in each, right? You don't have to, but I'm, I'm giving myself that. All right. I'll go. I'll go Iggy again. It's hard to, when you, when you played with some of these guys and they became legends in the game or hall of fame. I pick Messier. I think it's Zimmer. I think Iggy's actually, people are going to hate me for this. Iggy dropped his gloves more and Iggy, I think was as impactful and, you know, they're both in the hall of fame. I see that as a great pick. Right. Well, I pick Pronger and, and Messier. You got to have some level of toughness. Right. Um, I'd like to go further back, but I'm I'm out. I'm drawing blanks here. So I'll go. I'll go Ovi in the middle. And yeah. you think that? Yeah. And there's there's another guy. When I say toughness, I'm not talking about. There's no level of dropping the gloves to this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have picked Messier. I just mean toughness. 
in that fuck those guys are tough like you're gonna have it's gonna be a hard fucking team to play against that's yeah. a that's a good strategy yeah. what did roddy play i gotta know what brindamore did he play he played the wing right he didn't play the middle yeah he was shot left he was either i mean i remember watching him take face-offs but he did yeah you know, he, he played the wing on some of the best lines he played on a lot of those guys are you know they go yeah, you really do. Unless you're Crosby the whole time, or I didn't realize yeah. that as much either. Because in junior, it's more set. But I've I noticed that when I went pro, there's all kinds of guys that float That's all over fun. the place. Yeah, yeah. I'll go Shanahan. We'll keep it. We'll keep it all tough up front. That is, and, and there, there you go. Another incredibly underrated hockey player, and I maybe now it's because. Because he's in the limelight, he's just he's so criticized <laughs> or, yeah. or or praised, no matter what. You know, he's right. just in the limelight, always, always, always. That he pulled off the rare feat of being a Hall of Famer that you don't think out of as a even a hockey player. <laughs> Any other, you know what I mean? If he do, if he's not involved in hockey now at all, he walks into a room and you're going, "Oh my God, one of the best power forwards to ever put on skates!" <laughs> right? And now people want to go. Get rid of Campbell or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, it's been interesting. I got to take off, my man. It's uh, We've had you for more than an hour, so I'm nine minutes more than I said. But, hey, I know you don't mind. Get back to work. Do your thing. And I certainly hope to see you again. I'll be in Nashville, actually, in April. I, I know you were there recently. Yeah, um, I went to the war game. So was, how uh, far would that be a drive for you? Uh, just under four. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm going April 7th, to 10th. My buddy Taran Samwith, who's been a guest on this show, it's his birthday. Oh, nice. And uh, I loved it. But a lot of those cities I'm slowly getting back to because people say Nashville. I mean, yeah, I was there like, the, you know, I was on the team. Technically, I sat in the press box, but you're out of town. Right. You know, I saw it. I, I, I went out during the day when everybody else was sleeping and watched, you know, I walked around, but I don't really consider it experiencing Nashville like I want to. Um, so. And I mean, just in every way possible, not necessarily boozing, but just visiting and checking out the scenery. Nope, anyway, it's been awesome. Hopefully, uh, maybe we can uh, catch up for a beer or coffee or whatever it might be in the near future. It's been great catching up with you again. And uh, truly, <clears throat> truly some some great memories playing with you. We, we never even got to the uh, ID story, but maybe we'll save any of that for next. The PG All-Star game and the... Uh... And then my draft story with the, the ID. You know what? You know what? It, it'd be weird to have you on and not talk about that because that's the first time I actually spoke to you as, you know, I guess we were teammates for a day. So how did that work? I remember giving you a fake ID because I'm a year older, obviously, and I could get in and you couldn't, but I still had my fake ID from the year, year before. Where did it yeah. say on it? North Dakota or something? North, North or South Dakota. It might as well have been loving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It might have been really your picture. Yeah, I don't Did know. Did it say my name? God. I, I can't remember. But what happened with it after? So it, what it was, was we all went out the night after we played the All-Star game. So it was, uh, it was a great time. It was in Prince George. Jeff Lynch, who was, you know, uh, I, how do I word this? Jeff Lynch, you, you know, he's, he wasn't a huge prospect. Didn't become a star. But again... Success is in the eyes of the holder. I'm not putting him down. He, he won a national championship at U of A. It's just 
he was playing for Prince George. He was probably the least profile game guy in the game. It was nice that he got the MVP. I remember that. And he's a friend of mine from Tri-Cities uh, the year before. And, um, you know, I remember meeting guys and having a great time. I, I, I don't remember what happened. In, I remember being at a dark, dungy bar, and it was like three for $2 or something. And yeah, no one like, was here yet. And I passed you the ID because I don't. I think you came and you're like, the bouncers aren't letting me in. Yeah, and it was like two for one at last. Co- we got in. I mean, again, La Surrey. I mean, oh, yeah. Padola, Frankie Ban. I mean, that the everybody that was there was stacked. I mean, everybody, both teams were there. Um, great there was night. a lot of stars, yeah. Yeah, last call. It was like two for one all night. So we'd order like we ordered like 20 drinks at the end of the night and got like 40. And like <laughs> at last call, somehow they did it to us. All I remember is getting a cop car escort back to our hotel and our coach, because I think we were in first place at the time. So Ed Dempsey was coaching and like had to take me in and gives me that look of disgust and <laughs> the look of disgust. I think some guys gotten a little more. More trouble that night, but that fast forward the next year when I still have that idea and we're in St. Louis for my NHL draft and oh, Carlos Sosa, who every uh, Western League guy seemed like that was his agent. Talk said his Sosa. son, yeah, his his uh, his son came who was like 23, 24 at the time, and and um, Sosa hire, uh, rents a white Lincoln Continental to take me, Scott Parker, and Travis Brigley around. There was his three representatives at the draft that year, and wow. we're, we're like going in and we get in the wrong side of town. We cross the river because we're looking for a gentleman's club. So that we thought we could get in, but because we had these fake IDs and Scott Parker was six, five two twenty at the time as a 17 year old. So he yeah. looked, like, um, he looked 30 Briggs, not so much maybe, but no, hey, Briggs didn't. baby face so on Briggs at the time. We hopped to seven 11 to get some sodas for the ride over. And, uh, all of a sudden the guy behind the counter, is like, Oh, just a second gets on the phone. Next thing you know, you got two cop cars rolling up with their cherries on because they the ID was clearly fake or whatever. So beg and plead. This is the night before our draft. (laughs) Beg and plead to get out of there without. Wow! And so I guess they confiscated the ID. The ID, but yeah, so it didn't uh, didn't quite work beyond uh, Northern British Columbia. But uh, it was a a good story nonetheless. And then it got even worse because we rolled across the river into East St. Louis, and we were looking for these clubs and. uh, it was uh, when we told people where we were later that day, they were. Wow. Kind of <laughs> yeah, that is fucking wild. I, I, you did tell me that at some point. I, I, I really don't. I, I think you might have typed it and sent it in a message or something. The story came back to me. Or I mean, I guess we, we were going back to junior. You see, some of it gets foggy, but I remember that. And what I, I know have... about it, you know where I got that done? I got it done at the West Edmonton Mall, but they weren't advertising them that way. I was in there and, and one thing led to another. I don't know if I had a buddy that knew a guy who knew a guy, but it was, there was a place like over by the rink where you could get like shirts and everything made up and they would laminate things and they you get a picture taken and then have it laminated. Well, he did that up for me on the spot. He's <laughs> like, okay, I, I got a way to do this. I do it for my buddies. So I, I don't remember the name. I don't remember. I remember South Dakota. You're right. It was South Dakota and it was my picture, but whatever the, the rest of it was, was McLovin all the way. That's right. <laughs> and it's been awesome talking to you again. And and listen, I probably got more words per minute than you did, but hey, it's my show. <laughs> All good. I appreciate you having me. Okay, thanks a lot, brother. I really appreciate it. Hope we can connect soon. See you, buddy. Absolutely. See you. Okay, thank you to Randy Petruck, a uh, 
a good fella, you know, and um, good opponent. I remember, you know, I had to be in his face a lot in junior. Great fella and great opponent. What am I saying? Um, but I remember, you know, it was part of my job was to stand in front of the net and a lot of people I didn't get along with. And I got pictures. I'll post some. And he's seen them. At, looking back, I'm like, Jesus, that's just a picture. I don't have a lot of videos. I got some, but and I'm just bowling them over. But they, they came with the territory then. And I also, you know, I knew that if that happened, you'd get grabbed. And I wasn't always I don't think ever. I wasn't even one to poke at the goalie. I would go in front. I knew what I was meant to be. That I was doing my job. But if a goalie ever had the puck, even now, like you kind of root at it. I just thought once it's like in his pads or it's under his glove, like it's over. But there's to, to this day, there's goals. You keep kind of spearing at the puck with your stick on the ice. You know, it's not really spearing. And you always throw the goalie off. And the puck often gets free and goes in and it's a goal. But I just... Um, and my instinct wasn't, you know, it's down, the play's over. I'd give you a hard time until it was on the way there and try to get in your face a little bit. But I wouldn't go out of my way to, to hit the goalie. Um, or if it did, if it called for that, someone ran our goalie or something, I'd whatever, I'd do it. I just mean as a rule, Randy wasn't a guy like Dan Cloutier. I, I hated and every time I got in front of the net with him, which wasn't much, but twice that I remember and he chopped me and I, went back at him and we got in a fight at world junior camp. There was some goals like that in the Western league that were competitive too. I mean, I get it. I'm just saying I was played. I, I was a power forward in front of the net, having to tip pucks and get rebounds on him more than anybody. Cause we made it. We, he was in my division and then we played them in the playoffs and exhibition. Couldn't have had any more Randy Petruck, you know, that, that year he was the goalie. I were 94, 95. And of course the next year, but I mean, in that particular year, we played them 20 times if we played them once. And I just remember having conversations, you know, like as happens. And uh, we barked at each other a few times. And of course he gave me a route and I gave him one here and there, but not, not what you'd think, you know, we respected each other in an area where in an era where it was tough to really get along with physical D men on the other teams or goalies. Him and I had a pretty good relationship, uh, and we're still buddies. And uh, yeah, I just it's weird. You gravitate towards some people. We we're hanging out there on that night of the All-Star game. I remember giving him that fake ID. But uh, you know, he, let's just say it was just games. Let's say 20 games we played against him just that year. And I'm talking, I'm not really Yeah, no. Six games in playoffs, and we definitely played them in exhibition, and then you know. 10 to 12 in the regular season against your divisional opponents, if not more. Uh, so, you know, I guess you spend, and I'm in front of his cage all that time. You know, you, you, you spend 50 or a hundred hours together. If you think about it, right. There's some friends that I haven't seen for five total hours since high school. I still considered them friends. I'll send them a message. Hey, what's going on? Carl, Maria, whatever. Why did those names come into my head? Carl and Maria. That's a question for my therapist. I did I, no preparation there, nor do I know anybody growing up named Carl or Maria. And those are the two names that popped into my head. Huh. Anyway, you know what I mean? It's the familiarity. Familiarity. Always have a hard time saying that word with what you do. We're in the same division and got lots of mutual friends. 
anyway, it's good to see him doing well. And we've always seemed to uh, pick up on positive vibes in each other's worlds. So great fella, great guest, and someone that I hear anybody I respect on that team. But 16 years old to come in and drive the, uh, drive the bus, unbelievable. So thanks again to Randy, the hammer, Patruck. Now, my buddy Andy Pine, who we often, you know, I worked with Andy in the film world. We were set dressers together. Other things, but we were, became buddies, you know, at that particular time. Anybody knows the film world, knows what I'm talking about. There's an on-set set dresser, and there might be a buyer and everything. When I say set, you know, like to, to, to make it, to simplify the role, let's say you were, they say, Terry and Andy, we need a, this particular bar, let's say we're shooting at Turkey Joe's downtown, TJ's, sorry, TJ's pub now. Um, well, we need it to look like it's 1975, right? So then we might go out and get some kiss posters and pinball machines, whatever. Might be a bad example, but you know what I'm saying. So that was our job. And, and you generally go in teams because you're driving the big um, cargo vans and stuff. So we we worked together as a team for the first couple of years of Hudson and Rex. We worked a little bit on frontier together show called little dog. So we'd often get talking about hockey and I'm not one of those guys that work. If you're not into it, I don't bring it up, honestly. And I'm, I know you guys hear me talking a lot and I'm not saying I don't talk a lot. And if someone wants to talk hockey, I don't, but you know, a lot of people in that world aren't into hockey and it's fine. And I don't, Ever honestly, it doesn't come out of my mouth. You wouldn't believe it, but but with Andy, uh, you know, he's a fan and he's got quirks about him. There's certain fans might be overall fans, like I am a football, and I could tell you some stats because it might have stood out in a I don't know a Patriots documentary or a Joe Namath biography or something, right? So because I'll know little things, but. There's no one little part that I specifically know like a ton about. Well, Andy, if he's into a player or a generator or hockey cards, right? He would know what all these hockey cards sold for back in the day. Ken reads into that. Like Andy's kind of into it without Ken at this point, you could argue it's his profession because he got two books out, hockey card stories, one and two. He talks about it all the time on Instagram. Uh, I, I think people know he's the go-to guy and he's just into it. Newfoundland senior hockey history. Andy could tell you, Good players on herder teams from 1953 that played in Badger. Uh, not everybody, but, you know, not everybody out there knows Danky Dorrington and legends like this in Newfoundland. And Andy does. So we have great conversations because neither one of us are experts on the history of anything, but we share a lot of the same interests. So I'm going to. Andy sent this message right before the show started. Hey, TR, long-time listener, first-time caller, best episode yet, two, two TR senior episodes in a week. Don't mind if I do. He's talking about the last one, 91B with senior. Discussion point for different eras. Going back to before your, your boy Cyclone Taylor, I always bring up Cyclone Taylor. I guess if you're listening to that, you, this, you know it. The first hockey star was one-eyed Frank McGee. I do remember uh, hearing that name, Andy. Uh, he won a cup with Ottawa in 1903. 
once scored 14 goals in a game in the Yukon, was a dominant rover of his generation. Don't laugh. Your rover was a position. I'm saying that. How can you argue that the best of that era, if given round, if, if given year round bio steel camps, pristine artificial ice, nutritionists, graphite sticks, how would they not dominate now? Uh, today, could one eye Frank be talking to spit and chicklets or posing on the gram with Marner and Matthews? Well, I actually do believe that. I think, you know, if they had all the equipment and everything, why not? He was the best of that era. The only thing hindering him was the evolution of the game. And I mean, on the ice and off and the equipment. Okay, get back to Andy's note. Meanwhile, given that it was a sloppy, weather-dependent, poorly lit ice surface, good points, six skaters aside, aside, no forward passing. Wow, you'd really have to think now, right? Now you're thinking football strategy. Um, I mean... You know, once the play starts, uh, sorry, no forward passing. Rinks had square corners. Goalies couldn't go down. No line changes. And that there was only uncurved, hand-curved wooden sticks. No penalty over, for breaking those sticks over someone's unbucketed head or shins, unprotected shins. How can you assume McDavid wouldn't be absolutely useless in that area, yet alone destroyed? It'd be like little, it'll be like little Richard walking into straight out of Compton. Discuss. So there I'm discussing. I butchered the reading of that. I, I really only saw that, and I knew it was a question, so I said I'll read it out for him. Uh, but I apologize if you didn't get it. But basically what Andy is saying is, yeah, there's different eras, and the best from each era, I would assume, should be talked about with the same respect as everybody else. Another thing, Andy, I thought, you know, hockey's going to go on and on and on. And whatever we think of these players, you can make an argument for McDavid or Crosby or Gretzky or Howe or Lemieux, or, you know, and for everybody goes fucking nuts there. Um, I mean, any of the star players now that you could make a, an argument for, or even if there's one of your favorite players, you know, I go down the list. Um, you you hope that in a hundred years from now they're going to look at them with the same respect. Right now, how much the rules are going to change? I don't think they're going to. Ch- I, I know they're going to change. They change every year, but when the game is just being formed in the early nineteenth or twentieth century, nineteen hundreds. So I can see why there were so many changes because they weren't really set on a specific format yet i mean if, if if there's a rover up until the 1920s and you can't pass it forward that's a different game six skaters aside no line changes jesus you're right the the, the uncurved you know wouldn't stick yeah andy i agree with you in that you would have to give those top athletes from back then a chance, right? And I mean, they're learning to skate. I mean, you know, they're picking up skates somewhere that are standard. Probably be like us all just going to the general skating now and getting one of the pairs of communal figure skates, you know, like, or communal hockey skates. I'm sure they weren't on figure skates, but you know what I mean, right? They're, they're, technology, there was no even reason. There, there was no money to be made i guess there was some there wouldn't have been owners but it, you know they had a vision more than anything they weren't 
banking in right away. No ads or any of that. I mean, that all came in time. But if there's no money and being generated, why would I have good gear? Right? You, you think that people are just there like the, the hockey safety police helping people out, but that's not the case. The reason is because that gear can be sold. Right? Not every friggin' 10-year-old needs a one-piece stick for $300, but I guarantee you there's a shitload being sold today. Right? So we'll make them. Hey, this version here, look, oh, this is the 2.0. This is worth 600 Guarantee you right now there'll be thousands of people by it tomorrow. So I don't fault them, no. And I think they were the best. And it's not their fault. The rules were what they were. Now, I will also say this. You're going to laugh, but I think more people should know those names. There's lots more. I just watched the documentary last night, part of one, and there was a defenseman in the like 1929, 30, 31, 32. I could look this up, but I'll leave it for you. I can't remember his name, but he was considered real relentless, and he slashed someone over the head. And um, God, who was it? I can't remember, but it, it was an incident, and this guy was ruthless. And uh, there's more and more players. You know what? I, I'm, I'm, I had a pause because who am I to talk about? People should know. And I, I'm not even mentioning his name. And that's his whole legacy. And today on earth, there'll be me and maybe five other people. So I'm going to say it one second. I got to look it up. Okay. I was wrong. Um, that took me a bit. It was, um, and how do you, I just, you know, I typed in NHL suspensions in the 1930s. Eddie Shore, who we've all heard of. I mean, old school Eddie Shore. He was with Boston. He got suspended for six games by hitting, for hitting Ace Bailey over the head. Okay. But that's not even what I was thinking about. I was thinking about a guy named Bill Kutu, C-O-U-T-U. And that was right around that time in the early 1920s. And he slashed at the referee and got a suspension for life. It's actually an interesting story, and I, I recommend checking it out. But it was, it was in the twenties, and and it was chaos. But it was the Stanley Cup final. Um, it was Ottawa against, you know, the beginning of the legacy of the of the, the Montreal Canadiens. Now, the way I understood it is that. He hit the ref. I'm waiting to see. I don't really want to look it up. I, I'm watching these these old like NHL. I think they're put off by the NHL, but there was top hundred players. It's a little dated now, but it's worth watching. And um, they need to redo one. And and just their story. That's where I came up with the Broad Street Bullies documentary. That was awesome. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm in the middle of one now that explains all this. It's when hockey was. You know, it had been around, I guess, for 40 years. They wouldn't have thought it was in its infancy, but to me it was, you know, because the rules, again, the rules were all coming. The, the, the evolution was still pretty early on. So, anyway, look into it, but this Bill Kutu, he was a real tough guy, minus the sticks or whatever. You know, he was a tough guy to play it against, and he was suspended a few times. 
But in any case, whatever unfolded there in this particular game, which I'm going to find out about tonight, um, he went at the referee and got a lifetime ban. One had nothing to do with the other, actually. I, just, I don't know why I started talking about that. But anyway, there you go, Andy. I think more players from the past should definitely be talked about more. Like, you know, at hockey schools, I always thought, and we did it for a bit when my dad at a hockey school, you'd have these tapes on a hockey history. And I thought, why? You know, you, you always, I work at some hockey schools and I love it by the way. And we, we have fun with them. And usually for, for chalk talk type stuff, you know, they, there's, there's skate in the morning of practice. Then, you know, they might have a little snack. Then they work on something outside. It could be dodgeball. It could be baseball. It could be whatever. It could be plyometrics if they get older and, and then, you know, there'll be video or, or chalk talk. But I've always tried to bring up that the history is like, you know, you go to school, you learn about history. I, I think hockey players, and I'm not saying Bill Kutu is a legend that should be like almost <laughs> looked up to. I mean, I guess it was so long ago, maybe he was a good D, but I'm not saying everybody needs to know that, you know, he went out and attacked the referee because he's tough. I'm saying it's part of hockey history. The fact that there was a rover and you couldn't pass it forward, I think a lot of people wouldn't even realize. And of course, I'd believe it if you told me that happened in 1860. But this, you know, hockey was established. We still talk about what we're adding cups in Montreal's. I, I don't know the history of every single cup. Uh, if you want that, talk to Liam McGuire. He literally can off the top of his head tell you every single winner and most of the players on each team. But, um, you know, I just think we should know about the, the history of it. So if, if we're if we're discounting, you know, way, way back in 1900 because the rules weren't the same, but if we're still, if we're counting in the, the Stanley Cups that Montreal has won, Cups, when the goalie couldn't go down, that's a pretty big difference. But if we're going to count, or, or sorry, it's a pretty big rule change let alone the other, I mean, penalty shots were slap shots from the circle, from the hash mark, sorry. Right? I mean, we, we forget about that. I only learned it because we're watching this documentary that's going to continue tonight, whatever I was talking about. I was stupid to even bring that up, actually, because I don't even know. I, I, I know it's the next show. I'll tell you about it. I don't really have the means right now, and uh, I got to get going soon. But I think people should know those stories. You know, it doesn't all start with Rocket Richard. Uh, you know, a lot of people it does, but there's, I mean, Ace Bailey, Eddie Shore, these are prominent names, but we should know a lot more from that era. There's not a lot of teams, the best players, you could probably count them on fingers and toes each year. And, uh, I think we should know a little bit more about them. Okay. Now I had to get going, but I always leave you with a song or, a an album locally and, nationally slash internationally okay okay for this classic album i'm going to go way back to 1967 and i'm going to go with the doors the album is also the doors and the doors funny because uh, as time has gone by i don't think they i, I never would have said this because when i was a kid um and and later like into the 2000s jim morrison 
there seemed to be more of a relevance about him. And, you know, he was one of just the best ever, you know, a big front man, often with no shirt, had the long hair, represented hippie kind of counterculture of the 1960s. And the doors came on the scene. And while I stand out, the keyboard stand out. If you hear Light My Fire, which is on this album, it's just, it, it opens and you immediately got me. You're hooked. And there was a lot of creati creativity and experimentation going on in the 60s, not only with, uh music but you know with drugs that people were taking uh certain areas i know they hit up uh, san francisco california quite a bit uh and a lot of it had come from britain right the british invasion you could argue influenced people more than anything else now there's other parts of the 60s of course the folk movement and there was motown and there was all kinds of different but as far as rock and roll uh you know i, I know a lot of it, you know, the Beatles and the Stones, led by the Beatles and the Stones, the Who, you know, there was there was a large, a lot of the big bands were coming from England. And uh, anyway, the doors burst onto the scene. I mean, just listen to it start to finish. When I, I, I'm picking albums here, not songs, because I assume for the small percentage that's going to give it a try, uh, it's it's the album like i'm recommending albums that start to finish either tell a story or are best listened to as a whole so it opens with break on through to the other side which you've probably heard before if you listen to any classic rock uh everybody had heard it again 20 years ago the doors movie came out they seemed to be <clears throat> rock and roll was a lot more popular you know so with time the doors aren't getting as much respect as i would have thought they would have had but Anyway, Break On Through's on there. Light My Fire is probably my favorite on the album, and it just comes at you right away. I just love the, the keyboard riff and the whole mood. Um, and, of course, the end. The, the end is another, another pretty big drug, dreamlike Doors song. That So there's the bookends. Uh, hold on. One sec, my allergies are acting up. Sorry about that. My, uh, I've only developed allergies in the last few years. And honestly, my eyes and my nose, they, I, I could never identify with anybody that, that went through that. And I thought, hey, you know, just stop wiping your eyes. Oh, my God, man. It's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, and I know what it was today. It was foods. I ate a granola bar. And there's nuts in it. And I've also developed that. Anyway, what the fuck am I talking about? There you go. The doors, the doors, and locally. Ron Hines. I don't bring Ron Hines up enough. He's an absolute legend here. Probably the most famous musician from Newfoundland and worldwide. He, uh, he's so creative. I mean, he's got so many great songs. This particular song I'm going to talk about at first isn't my go-to, but it's a great song. I think it's overplayed. It's called Sonny's Dream. Now, you listen to this before. This is to be taken seriously. This is a singer-songwriter that people all over the world, from Paul McCartney to Bob Dylan, knew and respected. I'm not saying every single musician, of course. I've just, over time, heard drips from Leonard Cohen, I know, was a huge fan, from major songwriters that have brought him up and it makes me proud as a Newfoundlander, you know, to, to watch him. And I was a kid, but, he, you know, he was in a band called the Wonderful Grand Band in the 80s. And 
he evolved and just became, you know, just God, you, just in every way, just his whole presence was godlike. And, you know, he had a lot of flaws and he battled addiction. He was very open about it for his whole life. Well, I don't know if he battled addiction his whole life, it seemed like a lot of it. And again, he was open about this. I would never talk out of school, but, um, but he, so he wrote a lot of stories about tragedy and heartbreak, but he could also write, you know, a catchy pop pop tune. And anyway, this one album is called Crier's Paradise, Ron Hines. It's my favorite album by him start to finish. There are songs here and there that a wonderful grand band. I mean, they've got a few that would really be in my top 50 ever. But anyway. This isn't really Newfoundland twang. You might be able to pick up an accent, but this is more country, rock. Uh, God, he, you know what? I can't folk, uh, rock and roll. There, there's so many different genres that he's a singer songwriter, but I don't think you could put him in a box. Uh, and anyway, my favorite song on there is is also Crier's Paradise. Uh, but you know, no Kathleen is just beautiful. Man of a thousand songs is phenomenal. Oh God, Atlantic Blue. I'll, I'll I'll save that if you want to look into Atlantic Blue, the lyrics and the, what it's about. It's a phenomenal album, and uh, I, I'm getting choked up. He died a few years ago, and Ron Hines. I always he's he's been in the basement there last time. Someone asked me the most famous person in your basement. Well, Ron Hines would be up there and someone or most admired for sure. I met him a few times downtown. He would still play gigs, you know, at like little bars for 10 people. And he'd still tell those stories. You know, he's the best storyteller I've ever heard as well. And that's saying something when you come from Newfoundland. Okay. Oh, Mondays, I'm going to change it to Mondays. We do a live show. We did it at 4 o'clock Eastern, 5.30 Newfoundland. It was really a little bit of fun. I brought Senior in on it, uh, Tales with TR. Just check it out on the Hockey Podcast Network uh, YouTube channel. It, you'll, you'll find it. Check my social media. I'll be posting it. Follow along if you'd like. But as of now, we're going to move it an hour later because I figure I might even go later after that because people are getting off work Um most places that listen to this show at least an hour and a half earlier than it is here. So if I do it 5.30 here, it's 4 o'clock in Ontario. Not saying we don't have a lot of Newfoundlanders that listen. I'm just saying by population purposes, everybody, Randy there, Randy today, he's in Cincinnati, right? But it's an hour and a half. It's Eastern, Eastern Standard Time for the most part. If not, we're going earlier because it's going out West and we're later. So I said, I, I can't appease everybody, and I don't want to be at 9.30 and 10.30 every night doing this uh, for a lot of reasons. But I think I can adjust by an hour. So we're going to do it next week, next Monday, 6.30 p.m. Newfoundland time, 5 o'clock Eastern. It's going to be live, Tales with TR, basically Q&A. Basically just Q&A, Tales with TR, Q&A. Well, you're, Senior will be there, too. Keep forgetting, but he's going to be there most times, not every time. Anyway, figured we'd start it out. Uh, I had a great time. We interacted. Uh, it's one of the only times I get to do it live with fans. And I'd rather do it that way than answer all those messages that I can't get to. 
So anyway, it's a long one today. Thanks for listening. Check out Winswood Cafe, of course. And uh, just great catering and a great little restaurant, Elizabeth Avenue. Ryan Power, one of the fastest hockey players from Newfoundland I've ever come across, has a conditioning clinic. It's called uh, Power Conditioning. Check into it if you're from The Rock. He's trained a lot of great hockey players over the last... When did he start? God, it's over 10 years now. I did a few hockey camps with him, but real dedicated, great trainer. Well, Alex Newhook, you saw, amongst others, Zach and Marcus and a bunch of other who I talk about a lot on here, play with the Growlers now. A lot of kids that have gone away over the years play that you wouldn't necessarily, they wouldn't pop into your mind, uh, but they played and they've had great careers. And that got him over the hump training with Ryan, his most famous client right now of course is alex newhook who's ripping it getting better each day and playing with the colorado avalanche has a chance for a stanley cup a maggie connors who i've had on this show is a great hockey player uh good newfoundlander she can really snipe and is really dedicated and has a great uh, pad. i'm always fascinated whenever i see updates on maggie she's in princeton now doing awesome and uh I think scored the other night by the pick I saw on Instagram. Brendan McCarthy, Charlottetown Islanders. I can keep going down the list of people that have gone through and trained with Ryan, but he's just a great person. And uh, I thought I'd give him a shout out because he's really helping kids in big ways. And it's not just in the gym with Ryan, right? Because he's played the game. I say to people, I'm like, you know, who do you want training you? Someone who went through exactly what you did. And, and he did. Ryan is what I said, like one of those skaters, Back in the day, it was more like the best 12 players make it, right? Like Joe Thornton, I remember, made the NHL his first year, but he was a fourth-line winger. But they were just like, well, you know, he's not going to be on the fourth line his whole life, but we, we'll take him over a role player. But I think the evolution of the game brought it to a little bit of a... Well, I, I, I do think it changed. I, I still think you want to keep great players around, and not that Ryan wasn't a great player. But back then, if someone could just skate, I don't know if you would consider them great. Right, it all had to do with offense and everything. And you know, again, I talk about Clark Bishop. There's, there's two-way players like Clark Bishop that go to the minors. Like when I played in the minors, if you didn't have 20 goals in a season or even close, I don't know that you were getting called up. You know, Clark's such a f- phenomenal defensive player that you know, in, in the last few years, he'll be playing in the American League and I don't know, 30 games. Four goals, two assists, and get called up like because they need him, right? And that's he focuses on defense more than anything. Can he put the puck in the net if you put him with the right players? Of course he can. 80 points in the queue. I'm just saying there's if 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 Ryan Power came out now with that blazing speed, I think you would uh give him more of a second look. And uh, Ryan came back. Remember that show in like 2007? It was I can't remember the name of it, but you this big hockey tryout and uh players from each Canadian team got to take a guy for a year. Well, Ryan was one of those and he won himself a year in the, in central hockey league. Like I said, success is in the eyes of the beholder. Ask most people play and get paid for a year to play in the central hockey league in Texas. Have a great time doing it. I think they'd take it right. Anyway, it's great. Ryan's uh, Ryan knows what it takes and he has great contacts with agents and coaches and he's a positive guy, so check it out. Really, if you're from Newfoundland and you're training for just about anything, he's your guy. Uh, 
TJ's. Check that out. Some great drink specials. Good people. Green Sleeves downtown, uptown. I mean, why not? It's opening up again. It's well, it's opened up today. It's March 1st. And uh, things in two weeks will be completely back to normal. Now, I guess we have to wear the masks for another two weeks. But capacity's up. Live music, food, whatever you want. All systems go. So check those places out. And, of course, Trinity and the Bull and Barrel. Why wouldn't you check those places out? They're just awesome bars. Good people. Good vibes on George Street. Support local. Listen, this has been episode 92. 92. I think I misquoted myself i think i misquoted myself earlier anyway when i said it was episode 91 of course it's episode 92 and episode 93 will be along in about six or seven days until then keep it real stay cool thanks for listening and uh have just a phenomenal week thanks everybody and see you soon